0: Joe Maya San Savo San Savo, Meaning Babya Mohu Mado. Aye. Or Contoni Or Contoni Meaning Babya Mado. Maya Continu.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Ornate Stairwells, film podcast. I'm Autumn, and I'm joined, as always, by Neve.
2: Hi, I'm Niamh. Uh
1: We watched movies. Um, you got a spreadsheet of the movies we've watched. Do you want to talk about The Matrix?
2: Yeah. So, uh, Emily and I watched all four Matrix movies in the course of a week. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, mean, we also watched Resurrection. Yes.
1: I'm gonna silence my phone while you talk.
2: Um. Yeah. I, I feel like if we'd recorded a, like, full episode last week, I would have, like, more concrete thoughts in my head around this stuff. Yeah. Now it's like slipping through my fingers.
1: So okay, I'm having a similar thing, right? Where Norrin Jackson and I were supposed to do a Matrix Resurrections podcast. Um, we watched that movie on December twenty second, which is a bad time to try to schedule a podcast. Yeah, you know. And now it's weeks later, and we're just continuing to have trouble scheduling because you know we're both we're all busy people. Um. And I don't care anymore. Yeah. Because by December 31st, I didn't care anymore. And now it's January 15th.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: <clears throat> but tell me about The Matrix. I'll give people a rundown on some Matrix Resurrections feelings. We'll probably still yeah. do a version of that podcast, but I'll give people a rundown in a minute.
2: I I feel like I like would have had more... Um... Like involved or like nuanced or intense takes, and what's happened is that they've just condensed down in my head. Of like, I know these things mm-hmm. that I like. I know like the notes that I typed up, but now that's all that that is. There's not is. like I an emotional type notes, but like the notes in my head. Yeah, yeah, right. No, I get you. Um. So the first m- Matrix. So one, I guess I'll start with my like tier list. Yeah. Um. So the best Matrix movie is The Matrix, obviously. No um, question. Second best Matrix movie is The Matrix Reloaded.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm Okay. I'll just say that like when I first watched Matrix Resurrections, I was really down on it. The second time watching it, I started to appreciate what they were doing a little more, and it clicked with me a little better. To where at one point I was like, oh, maybe Resurrections is the second best Matrix movie. And then I thought about Morpheus saying, what if I told you tomorrow the war could be over? And then I was yeah. like, no,
2: that movie's way better. <laughs> um, then uh, in the final tier, which I gave the same star rating mm-hmm. on Letterboxd is Matrix Resurrections and Ma- Matrix Revolutions and I did say them in that order because the one distinction is that I said that I liked Resurrections on Letterboxd <laughs> and I didn't I, I didn't do that <laughs> for Revolutions. So I think that they're like similar quality but like they're differing in key ways. And just in terms of like a movie I would want to watch again, Resurrections is one where I'm like, "Eh." like they had more ideas. There's more going on there. Mm -hmm. Whereas um, I guess my like very quick, like maybe people will be annoyed by this, but my like, let me just put a bullet in (laughs) um, revolutions and move on is like, basically you get to the end of reloaded and it's like, okay, we need like a half hour to wrap this up. Mm -hmm. And then they do like, a two hour movie to wrap it up. Um, and most of that is like really pointless action scenes that aren't actually that important. Mm -hmm. Like there's some of the war stuff that is, but like there's just so much of it is drawn out because they're trying to like pad out a movie with, they only had the ideas for like at most an hour. Yeah. Um, and so much of the action scenes are relying on the, the CG stuff and not, like, let's actually use... um it? Yuan Wuping. Yuan Wuping, yeah, yeah. My brain just, like, completely, just, yeah. Yeah, you're fine. It just ejected a bunch of Matrix thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like, instead of actually using Yuan Wuping to, like, do some cool fights, let's just do a bunch of CG stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't have, like... CG is really hard, and we don't really have the budget for it. So we're gonna animate like one of the like, you know, little mech guys, mobile mech things from um aliens. We're gonna (laughs) animate one of them moving, and then we're gonna do that exact same animation, but we're just gonna do them out of sync to show like an army of Mm -hmm. like a hundred of them. Mm -hmm. But they are all literally doing the exact same motion. (laughs) You can tell. (laughs) Um. The, yeah, the CG stuff just doesn't hold up, which is the weakest part of Reloaded as well. Is that the CG fight with all the agents? The parts where they cut to actual choreography, mm-hmm. it's a it's a fun fight, but there's just a bunch of it where it's a PS2 cutscene.
1: I've been listening to The Matrix has you at hello. I stopped because I was I didn't want to listen to a different Matrix Resurrections podcast before I did my own. Um but i listened and i really i liked all their episodes a lot i really really liked the matrix revolutions episode cuz i think they like do a good job of going like point by point through exactly the thing that you're saying you know of like yeah. cuz they're doing like a 2 hour podcast just about the one movie and like everything they said and everything you said i like totally agree with um and yeah so if people <laughs> yeah. if people want like more of that, I, I I really liked all their episodes, but the Matrix Revolutions one in particular I thought was like really good.
2: So. Yeah, um, but so the big thing too is that both Reloaded and Revolutions come out in two thousand three, mm-hmm. and you can really tell that between the Matrix and then those two movies, um, the Phantom Menace changed what movies were. <laughs> you can you, you can, can just really, really can. tell, um, and and in some ways like. Both in the
1: CG yeah. and also in the way that Reloaded is about people sitting down and spouting ideas at each other. Yeah. And then there's an action scene and then they go sit down on someone else.
2: <laughs> there are multiple, like, <laughs> Senate Council scenes. It's just not this, like, huge space with weird moving platforms. It's yeah. just, like, people sitting around in a room. Do Um the, Okay. I am a huge prequels fan. Yeah.
1: Nothing. Nothing in the prequels is as good as that guy saying, it's like wiping your ass with silk. I love it.
2: <laughs> um, I, I just feel like the, the big thing is like the biggest thing when I watched this movie or those two, like these two movies, when I watched reloaded and revolutions, um, it made me realize, cause I've also like have a fondness for the prequels, mm-hmm. but I watched it. And then I want like, watch these two and i thought like shit this is like how marvel happens yeah yeah you can see especially with the matrix where they're like it's one of the first things that was really trying to do this like there's gonna be a game there's gonna be like a comic books with it there's Mm -hmm. gonna be like Mm -hmm. you know an mmo matrix yeah yeah um this like we're going to try and do like essentially what what the mcu stuff did was just like oh instead of us trying to do it across a bunch of different media let's just like bring it all into like literally every movie we're doing is tied into this thing
1: yes and i think the other big difference is that like the mcu has all that other media but you don't need it in the way that like sometimes watching reloaded in particular i'm like Am I not understanding this scene because I didn't watch the animatrix because I've never seen the animatrix and there's just shit I feel like I don't understand in Reloaded because of that you know yeah.
2: So the big thing once like first let's just go to the Matrix which is a classic mm-hmm. um it's great it's amazing what they do like the yeah. way that they use CG mm-hmm. is really
1: effective Oh my god yeah um
2: it it holds up so much better than Reloaded and Revolutions Yeah um despite being earlier they're just like smarter about how they're using it and they're using practical effects or practical effects are going to be better. Um, and like a big thing that like stood out to me is there's the part where, um, Neo wakes up in the little like pod and this like gets mirrored in resurrections. Mm -hmm. Um, but in the original matrix, it's just like gross and goopy in a way that like movies are not allowed to be anymore. Mm -hmm. Like you can't, you can't, have him like wake up in goo like that anymore. yeah no. and so they did it again in Resurrections and it's just not as it's gross not and the goopy same.
1: it's not the same
2: it's not like so thick and like stuck to his body and, and just it's all like... it's in
1: like the subtle little details too where like in Resurrections like the camera is like five feet away from him which is like pretty close and in in the Matrix it's like right up in his face and you just yeah. get every little
2: bit of that goo you can <laughs> Um, but yeah, um, but so the big thing, (coughs) I, I was a big fan of the matrix when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. um, like when it came out, um, and I watched it a fair amount, like through high school and stuff, but I hadn't like returned to it and rewatched it since I came out as trans, Mm -hmm. but I knew the whole, like, Oh, it's a trans allegory Mm -hmm. reading. Um, and I think the way that that stuff is talked about in space is like, Oh, like, You know, the red pill stuff with, like, the alt-right is just, like, completely misinterpreting this movie. Um, And so I was going into it expecting that. And I went in and I was like, no, there's, like, Mm -hmm. that's also in here. Mm -hmm. The end is, like, yeah, I know the system's, like, fucked up, man. So I'm going to get guns and shoot up a building. Mm -hmm. Like, that's, like, the end of the movie. Yeah. And there's other stuff in there around, like, love and trying to find, like, a family or whatever. But, like, it's, like, offering up, like... Mm-hmm. Shooting up a building and finding a found family as like equivalent, yeah, equivalent <laughs> things, um, and really lingering more on the the ultra violence at the end. There, similarly, like uh,
1: there's a lot I really like in Resurrections, but I also can't shake that that is kind of a movie that's like you should go off your pills and stop letting them like control your mind, man. Yeah you know
2: your therapist is just like fucking you over
1: yeah i can't I, I don't think that that i i don't think there's a way i can read that movie that doesn't have that and i similarly can't read the matrix as like a very like liberatory trans thing that is also like you should liberate yourself by buying a bunch of guns
2: yeah the the way that i like really thought about when i was watching it is that um i feel like it's like Speaking to this like troubled teen sort of thing, but without like clear understanding of like what's causing that or what those people really need. Uh huh. Um, and so that's how like like there is actually in a way that I think sometimes trans community stuff doesn't talk about. There is like a certain shared like troubled teen background that exists both with like the alt writer mm-hmm. and like the trans person. Mm-hmm. The trans person just, like, finds a far better, like, yeah, outcome yeah and, like, outlet for things and everything. yeah um, But it's, like, there is still this, like, like, I don't know if it, when you were in high school, if it was when I was in, like, in middle school and high school, there was always at least, like, two kids who just always walked around in, like, black trench coats and shit. Yeah. 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 Like, this is just, like, the Matrix, the aesthetics of the Matrix is that... In some moments, like, oh, this is, like, old queer stuff. Mm. And then at other moments, it's just, like, oh, it's the weird kid who, we're, like, would wear a trilby <laughs> mm-hmm. or whatever. Did I tell you about Oregano guy recently? I don't think so.
1: I There was a guy in my high school um, who I remember. I was in high school from 2010 to 2014. I remember him telling me about, you got to get in on this Bitcoin stuff, man. Um Yeah. He wore a trilby to hat. Um, he wore a me to school every day, um, and I also remember that one time he was trying to buy weed, and somebody stole him, sold him a bag of oregano that he promptly <laughs> smoked. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I I hope I hope he's enjoying all his bitcoins or whatever. Yeah. I hope he's having a great time somewhere. Um,
2: then Matrix Reloaded is just a great fucking action movie. So good.
1: It's um, so good.
2: <laughs> And oh I'll I'll do the ratings. So for the Matrix they did B minus, um the main stairs is there's like a, a stairwell that's like fairly ornate going up to where Morpheus is, and we oh. see it a few times. There's like a you know I was thinking a of where the... like a fight out is happening and stuff. I was thinking of the stairs into the subway. Yeah, th- there's also that, but I feel like it gets mm-hmm. focused on a little bit less. Yeah, totally. And there's also one at the very beginning when Trinity is like Running away from stuff. Oh, yeah. And then falls down the stairs and has, like, the guns and is like, yeah. get up or whatever. Yeah. So, B-minus. Okay. Um, then uh, Matrix Reloaded. This is, like, just the most Yuan Wu-ping of mm-hmm. the movies. Yeah. Um, this is part of why I love it is that the action is just great. The fight scenes are great. Other than the big Anderson one. Yeah. Other or not than the part. Smith one. Yeah. Other than the part where they are using CG instead of actors who have like an actual professional fight choreographer who like understands mm. how to do really good dynamic fight stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. The part where they don't use the greatest asset for the entire <laughs> franchise, which is <laughs> Yonu Ping, is the worst part, correct?
1: <laughs> but they do use. No, they don't even use the second greatest accent for the whole entire franchise, which is um, Hugo Weaving, because Hugo Weaving is in that movie for, like, two scenes.
2: Yeah. Um, Also, like, I just enjoy the way that it's, like, complicating stuff in the original Matrix. Like, a lot of the the parts for them people are talking is, like, doing interesting complications around, like, oh, what's choice, what's fate? Like, um, you know... Why would, like, the system still, like, to some degree permit things?
1: Oh, that reminded me of something I want to say, and I feel like we're going so long at this point, but it's
2: fine. Yeah. um, We're not going to have a ton to say about the movie that we watched. Yeah. It was fun. It was fun.
1: Um, It was a good movie. I don't know if I would describe it as fun. It was a good movie. Anyway, <laughs> we can get to that in our main segment. Um, The thing that like really just like hit me about the matrix reloaded and the matrix like the those two movies taken in tandem um okay so <clears throat> there's a youtube video i'm obsessed with that you can probably look up called freddy prince junior explains the force or whatever <laughs> And one, I think it's funny because he says things like, these are George Lucas's, not mine. These are George Lucas's words, not mine. So fuck you if you don't agree. <laughs> it's very funny. Um, but but Freddie Prince Jr., by way of Dave Filoni, by way of George Lucas, <laughs> um, talks about the force. People understand the force as like a video game thing where you put points into force lightning and you put like points into force choke or whatever. And that's not what the force is. the force is like you know it it's in everything it binds us and penetrates yeah. us <laughs> um, and he talks about the force as like this sort of like mystical like thing that moves stories forward that like the force like in some ways like wants stories to happen. And so chooses Anakin and chooses Luke to like propel stories. Yeah. Um, and like the matrix, I think like really hits that in a really cool way where the first movie ends with like, he breathes and like the room stretches and yeah. collapses. So it's kind of a goofy, funny. It's goofy and bite. funny, but also it's like, wow, he can do everything. Like he's yeah. like, he can see the code and he can rewrite the code. And the Matrix Reloaded, like, kind of doesn't fully realize that because it does kind of just get, well, he put 10 points into flying or whatever a little bit. Yeah,
2: um, it It runs into, in some ways, the, the problem that, like, games and things will have, which is, like, you do a sequel and then you're like, well, we can't have the, like, party start at level 100. Yeah. Like, like, we just can't. We need yeah. to, like, have We're gonna another start growth the... curve.
1: We're going to start them at level 50, but then we're going to introduce the new level 60 villains or whatever, Yeah, you know?
2: Um, and the, the part where, like, I think the part that works the most <laughs> is just how they handle the stuff with mm. um, Agent Smith. Because then that's like, oh, I, like, especially with it coming after some of the stuff in the, the first movie, too, where it's like, oh, like, there's almost like a bit of Neo going on in Agent Smith now. Yeah. Um, in a way where I'm like, can then buy that he can stand up to, but then it ends up being this thing where like, so often they just have to like put Neo against agent Smith to mm-hmm. like, um, you know,
1: give you like equivalent power levels. Yeah.
2: Um, and to like get him out so that they can have the other characters face like problems that Neo can't just like, yeah. Uh, matrix powers is way out of, <laughs> but
1: like the one, the, the thing that I think reloaded does that also hits this feeling that this YouTube video gives me. And the the prequels give me very sparingly. And the Clone Wars gives me a lot of. Like, a lot of Dave Filoni Star Wars stuff, like, really hits this well, I think. But anyway, um, the thing that Reloaded does is, sure, it kind of gamifies, like, Neo's powers. But on the other hand, you get all these people being, like, you know, you don't understand, like, the nature of, like, choice and free will. And you are literally being propelled forward by like you know the sort of like meta structure of being in a film for like audience entertainment and you don't understand that and we all understand that I think that's cool yeah I like the Merovingian is what I'm saying <laughs>
2: yeah um one thing I kind of heard because I remembered the ghost twins yeah but I I thought that they were just like a the part that I forgot about the Ghost Twins is the explanation that, like, mythological beasts mm-hmm. and things, like monsters, mm-hmm. actually exist and they are just, like, code that, like, we don't want to delete yet. Yeah. Um. And I just forgot that, like, part of Matrix lore is that, like, yeah, like, werewolves and vampires are totally real. They're just weird code. <laughs> this is a, this is another thing that I, I think they hit on really good in The Matrix Has Your Hello.
1: Because in their Reloaded episode, they're like, there's, like four different like if this was the mcu there's like four different movies that reloaded could be that they all try to cram into this one movie like neo fights werewolves should be a matrix movie yeah (laughs) that should be the entire 90 minutes is neo fights (laughs) vampires and werewolves but that is like five minutes of an overstuffed movie and you know the, the very last part like you know the gang does a heist should be an entire Matrix movie. And instead, it's a very rushed 20 minutes, you know?
2: Um, The other part I forgot was the key plot point that in order for them to get to the Keymaker, Trinity... The Key plot point? Yeah. In (laughs) order to get to the Keymaker, Trinity needs to get (laughs) cucked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, Revolutions was... The best part is when Agent Smith, like, possesses a flesh-and-blood human person in, like, the real world. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and the actor is really good at, like, giving you this unsettling performance, so you're like, that's, that kind of feels like Hugo weaving in someone's body. Yeah. In, like, a creepy way. He Liam Neeson
1: like, should have yeah. won two Oscars for
2: Dark Man. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and then Resurrections. Um, terrible action. Oh my god.
1: Unwatchable.
2: Yeah. Um... Good
1: movie, unwatchable action scenes. Yeah. If I watch that movie again, I'm gonna fast forward past
2: the action scenes. Yeah, I like it for the the ideas that it's trying to bring into the series, and not the action really. Mm-hmm. The one part, there's the kind of shootout that's like in the um, the game studio place. Yeah, that's good. That one's all right. Yeah, it's not nearly as good as like anything in Reloaded. Other, I mean, it's better than the the CG fight against a bunch of Smiths. But
1: there's a couple things early on. Where Lana is clearly like, man, Inception to- stole my whole shit. That fucking Christopher Nolan motherfucker stole my whole shit. I'm going to steal his shit. People are going to walk on walls now. <laughs> and that <Yeah>. part's good. <laughs> yeah. Um,
2: yeah, I think uh, Lana's working through a lot with... Lana is working way.
1: through a lot.
2: <laughs> um, I don't want to like try and do too much more read into her but there's just a lot of like depictions of suicidality in this film yeah um in a way where i just hope she's okay i guess is really the thing yeah there's like a lot of like there's a lot of matrix
1: resurrections that i would love to like pick through and there's a lot of like matrix resurrection stuff that i would i do not feel is like really my lot to like speculate about Lana Wachowski's life a little bit you know we're like I could have this conversation with you off mic but there's just like stuff that she's like putting in that movie that I'm like
2: Lana you good you okay yeah Yeah, that's the one reason why like we're also just coming up on talking about the matrix for a while Mm. but also why I'm like I, I thought it was kind of interesting it wasn't like that compelled by much of what was happening in it uh, but also it felt like deeply personal in a way where mm. it kind of feels weird to like, it feels weird to me to try and analyze everything that's going on in it because there's a certain point at which I'm like, okay. Like clearly the stuff with Neo at the beginning is like, yeah, working through like being respon- at the yeah.
1: meetings, that making this movie, yeah. you know,
2: <laughs> <laughs> like there's so much of this that is like. Clearly drawing parallels between the characters and then like the creators' lives in a way where I'm like, I don't I don't know how much I want to like keep reading into everything that's happening here.
0: Yeah,
1: and also like I think that's the best part of the movie is like the, you know, video game production meetings and the you know Warner Brothers know is gonna. That, but... <laughs> Warner Brothers is gonna make it with with or without us, you know. Yeah. So we might as well we might as well help them, you know. Um, and they're gonna cut our funding for all the stuff that we actually wanna do if we don't <laughs> make the matrix. <laughs> like that is, I think, the most compelling part of the movie. Other than the ending, I think also I really, 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 really liked the ending. But um Yeah, yeah there's like I don't wanna deep read it too much because it just feels like it, at some point, like the line between Neo and Lana is blurry in a way that's like makes it hard to do criticism. I think.
2: Yeah. Um, I feel like I was not as hot on the ending as you are, but maybe I need to like just watch the ending again or something. Well, well, um, okay. I was really, really low
1: on that movie, really low, and I liked the ending immediately. Like even the first time I watched the movie, where I didn't like it. I didn't, yeah. I loved the ending, so maybe that just might be a thing that you don't come around on. Yeah, the thing that I came around on was that first, I hated the video game stuff, and then I ended up being like, "No, this is good actually." That was what changed for me on the second viewing.
2: Yeah, the I don't know. I, I might need to rewatch it. There's like something about the ending just like struck me as like, "Yeah, we're gonna like punch the shitty dudes or whatever," and I'm like. And then we're going to go make our own better world with rainbow flags. And I'm like, okay.
1: <laughs> That's a little, it's a little <laughs> corny. I, I enjoyed the cheesiness. I enjoyed, um, I guess we're going to spoil the matrix. Resurrections, whatever. Who cares? You've all seen it. It's, yeah. it, <laughs> um, either you've seen it or you've skipped well past this segment at this point. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, The thing that I like about the ending is, I think you can read it as, the Matrix Resurrections is better than all that MCU shit. Um, The way I read it is mostly like, we made the best Matrix 4 we could possibly make, hopefully other people are going to see this, and you know not settle for stuff like Eternals. Maybe there's not going to be more Matrix movies, but maybe other people are going to see this and get it inspired to go make their own, like, creative stuff. I yeah. thought that was really cool. And specifically, like, the Rainbow stuff, it's like, I hope gay kids see this and feel inspired that they can go make their own, you know, whatever it is they want to make. Yeah. But I definitely think there's, like, other stuff in that scene that's like, the sheeple just want to watch their fucking Shang Chi and uh, X Men: Dark Phoenix. <laughs> um, yeah, calling myself out a little bit. Yeah. We'll
2: we'll get there. Um, I'm
1: not. I'm gonna. I am not gonna be defensive on this episode about how much MCU stuff I watched.
2: <laughs> um. So the other the other little like wrap up. I want to do here yeah um is people should just go watch sense um i feel like it like fell this time where there's this like big pushback against wachowski stuff um but then everybody's watching the new matrix and so yeah. it's like go because all the stuff that's like yeah like the sense has some weird race stuff in it but like if you can watch the original matrix where like keanu reeves is like i know kung fu now Mm-hmm. Um and like you know, reloaded where like you literally know, like there are white guys with dreads, and, yeah, yeah, white guys with dreads. Um, I mean, and then if you if you watch like Resurrections and they just like replace, well, <laughs> one you you watch like what is it, uh, Reloaded Revol- or Revolution? Revolution replace the
1: where they replace one mystical black person with a new mystical black person, and then they do it again in Resurrections, yeah.
2: um like this is all just the stuff that's like questionable in sensei is like oh yeah the like um i forget if basically like the asian woman i forget if she's like taiwan or or china Mm -hmm. Um, i'm trying to like it's been a while since i watched it but um you know she's like the one who knows kung fu Mm you know like yeah. Okay. At least they like have an Asian woman doing it now, mm. and not Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Like at the <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> There's and then like they like lampoon it in the series, but for the second season, one of the black actors didn't come back, and so they got another one who just looks completely different, and they make a joke about how different he looks. <laughs> I joked the other day that
1: I was gonna um, start discourse by idly wondering why are black people always trees in super giant games. Uh, and a friend of mine replied, "Like, it's, it's only happened twice, but it's pretty weird that it's happened twice." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, similarly, it's uh, you've recast black people three times. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> anyway. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I will just say, even if you like the stuff that mm. they're doing with Morpheus in Resurrections, with like Morpheus be also being kind of Agent Smith, um, they still could have gotten Laurence Fishburne back to play yeah. it. They still could have gotten the actor. They could have gotten the man. Yeah. They could still have all the plot points and get the man. They, could, they didn't even call him up. They didn't call him. They could have called him. Yeah. Um, um, anyway, Matrix Reloaded, B, there's a really cool fight scene on the stairs. um, There is. Uh, with, like, lots of going up and down the stairs and different weapons on the walls. It's a cool fight sequence. It's, like, one of the best fights in the movie, I think. I think so. Um, then Matrix Revolutions, D-minus, um... I don't even remember it at this point, but I gave it a D minus at the time. So there must have been stairs. Yeah. D minus means that there were stairs. I just thought they were used poorly.
1: <coughs> Matrix Resurrections gets D minus for stairs also, because at one point a guy falls down a next to a flight of stairs. That is like <laughs> yeah. as far as I recall, there is only like one scene that even has stairs in it. And basically it's like some people walk downstairs, they fight. And they're, like, on, like, the middle part of some stairs. And then at one point, a guy gets kicked off, but he doesn't fall down the stairs. He just gets kicked off a railing next to the stairs, but just falls straight down.
2: Yeah. Um, Because it's very hard to CG animate stairs.
1: I feel like that must be the reason, right? Because they're never in movies anymore.
2: Yeah. Like, the feet on it. Yeah. You have to like get like really good tracking. I think that's probably what's going on. I guess so. I watched Amadeus. It's been a really long time since I've watched Amadeus. There was a time where I think I watched all Milos Forman movies that I really? could watch at the time. Um, and I forgot that Amadeus was one of the ones that I watched in that because I forgot it was Forman. I
1: um, <coughs> have always hated One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest.
2: Yeah. Since I saw it when I was, like,
1: 15, I've hated that movie. Um, But Amadeus, one of the all-time greats. I think that movie's fucking incredible. Molly and I just kind of watched it semi on a whim, Like, we were just talking, and it was just like, we both wanted to watch that movie, and so we did. And that's a hell of a movie to watch on a whim, because it's three hours long. Yeah. But the thing that... I so I have been aware that like a couple of my friends, Emma Jackson in particular, but a bunch of my friends, um, really love Amadeus like as a movie. Um, obviously as a movie, they're not all going and like watching plays on Broadway or whatever. Yeah. Anyway,
2: they love uh, Amadeus the the historical
0: yeah figure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, I've been aware of that, but I'm like, man, it's a three hour movie, and I knew it won a bunch of Oscars, and so I was like, it's gonna be so dry, and stuffy, and boring. I was shocked by how, like, I was laughing pretty much from start to finish of Amadeus, and it's still, like, it totally 100% functions as a drama. Like, all the seriousness, all the emotional, like, gravitas, all the, you know, like, capital T themes and, like, ideas, all of that comes through, but it is still, like, Oh, I was laughing all the goddamn time watching that movie. Yeah. It's so it's it's masterful how like just the way that it. I I think it's a very dramatic film. I would not describe it as a comedy. I just think it is a drama that makes you laugh a lot while you're being like, oh, this is so sad, or oh, this is so dark, or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, and the fact that it could keep that up for three hours, you know, like the the fact that it like. You know I hardly ever I think like once an hour I would be like, you know, move my little cursor around to see how far we've been. I'm like, oh wow, yeah, we're at the two hour mark. Okay. Got, got a ways to go, but we're good, you know? Yeah. Um just kept me engaged the whole time, you know. Um obviously, like this is this is obvious, but like the two lead actors in it are incredible. But I also think um stancy is that her name um, uh, Mozart's wife's name um I think she's like revelatory I think she's like low key like the best part of that movie um everybody talks about like Salieri and Mozart but um I think stancy is like probably like secretly the best part of that movie Constance Mozart and she goes by stancy in the movie um. I Yeah, I really, really was taken with her. She's also very funny because um, she is, like, the character... I think this is, like, intentional, and I think this is, like, part of the film that, like, it is a really high-budget, elaborate production of, like, you know... 17th century Vienna or what I don't remember when the movie takes place, but um, like all this like beautiful costuming and stuff. And Stancy kind of like walks in and reminds you that like, this is an eighties movie. These are eighties actors. Like they're going to take their like big elaborate wigs off and have eighties hair. Like um, she's just going to like, look like an eighties starlet and just remind you that these are like people doing a production of Amadeus for you and i think it's intentional i think they probably could have like made her not look so like an 80s like movie star if they wanted to and i think they like let that happen because i think like the artifice is like just bringing you further into the fun because i also think you know the artifice is a huge part of like the operas that they're going to watch you know yeah. where it's not trying to look real it's trying to you know convince you of like the emotions that are happening on screen so yeah i gave it an a plus for stairs because there's a bunch of stairs they're all very ornate um but there wasn't one they're there, there are stairs they're ornate they they use them well like you know the first time in the like like Mozart's father is very important to him, um, and he leaves the movie for a while, and the first time he comes back, he's standing at the top of the stairs and does a dramatic pose. You know, there there are moments where they use the stairs well, but for all the great ornate stairwells, there was not the stairwell scene in my Mm -hmm. mind, you know? There was like, oh, stairs are going to make this framing more dramatic, but it wasn't like the stairs are the centerpiece of this scene to my mind, so... A plus. Just couldn't quite get over that hump. I think probably, honestly, if there were fewer ornate stairwells, like, it might have hit the S because, like, well, it wasn't, you know, there wasn't that great scene, but man, those
2: stairs that were in there were good. (laughs) Yeah. There's a certain point in which you're, like, make it an essential part of the theme. Yeah. Bring the stairs into the theme. What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah.
1: The closest they get is, like, when they're showing you we watched the director's cut of the movie. I have to imagine that the theatrical cut of the movie, which is 20 minutes shorter, is just, hey, why are we just showing them full scenes from operas constantly? Yeah. it is like There's a certain point where Amadeus pivots into, like, let's make these people watch opera. And I got kind of drawn into the opera a little bit. But they're, like, I think the scenes where the stairs figure most prominently is, like, let's make them watch opera. What's on stage at an opera set? Stairs. Okay. Okay. <laughs>
2: Yeah. So. Uh shall I talk about Encanta? Please do. Um it's the new Disney movie. Emily wanted to watch it. Mm-hmm. Um it was fun. I think it I think it was my favorite of like newer Disney movies I've seen. Okay. Um I have like complaints about it, but there there are parts of it that I enjoy and I think uh like a big piece of this, honestly for me, um what is what is going on right now? Oh, oh, did I'm... you want to look up the the takes that I wrote? Do you want me to just yeah. read this verbatim?
1: I wasn't going to ask you to read it verbatim. I was going to jokingly repeat things that you had typed here. I, dear listener, Nia told me um, she was watching Encanto, and I texted her, um, please tell me what you think of Encanto, because I keep having coworkers ask me if I've seen it, and I'm just going to pass off your opinions as my own. Yeah. Um, I didn't actually have a chance to read this, because I was at work when you sent it to me.
2: Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm just gonna read it on the mic because this is. A I was good go, I was going to
1: jokingly read from it as if I had said these things. Anyway, please go ahead.
2: Okay. Um, So I said, "Oh, and Conto opinions, so you can pass them off as your own to co-workers. Maybe my favorite of these more modern Disney movies. I like that they mostly contain it to a single large house and can focus on the relationship between family members. Although I wish they let it be more of an ensemble cast because they really just like focus on the main girl. Hmm. Um. And so it like continues to follow her around, but I feel like they could like like this is this is showing how much I enjoyed this as a Disney movie. If this was like a a like ten episode TV show where like different episodes would focus on different members of the family, I think I would like it more. Hmm. What I'm saying is that I wanted to watch more Disney. <laughs> I want to be clear. This is a great compliment that I'm giving to it. Um but like cause because I liked the parts where you got like little glimpses into what's going on with different members of the family. Um, and I just wish it was allowed to be more ensemble than Mm -hmm. it was. Cause it all kind of comes down to like the, the main girl who's, you know, the new Disney princess attempt basically. So it's all these movies. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, the first song in the movie is painfully Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah, um, it's just very painfully well Miranda. But the main theme, Columbia, me, and Canto, uh, it's sung entirely in Spanish, and it's nice. It's the one that I sometimes get stuck in my head. Still, um, I just enjoyed that one. Um, if you were
1: on Cameo, you you familiar with Cameo, the app? Yeah. If you were on Cameo, I would just send you twenty bucks periodically to say <laughs> phrases in Spanish for me.
2: <laughs> well, and then I would send you twenty bucks to say phrases in landing for me. <laughs> um Columbia Me Encanto. <laughs> I'm s-
1: <laughs>
2: Me Encanto. Um Anyway, uh I really thought that they were going to make it something where the main girl had to apologize and be a good sister and everything. So I'm glad that that plot point was a fake out and that the actual this is kind of spoilers for Encanto. But the the end is that the um Abuela has to admit that she was actually wrong and was like hurting oh. the family by, um, kind of pushing the daughter out because she thought that she wasn't like, huh. good and proper. I didn't so, expect that. Yeah, I like that. The thing is, like, the actual resolution is that the abuela has to be like, "I'm sorry that I've been like treating you so poorly, um, because you're like different than us," um, which I was like, okay, th- like this, uh, this is another reason why I like this mm-hmm. Disney movie is that it's a Disney movie where it's like, hey. Uh, if your family is, like, rejecting you, that's not your job to fix. Like, the people hmm. rejecting you should probably actually fix that. Which is, like, okay. That's not what I was expecting. Okay. I thought that this was going to be, a, like, a movie. Because, like, the main girl's like, I want to try and fix what's going on wrong with my family. Um, And I thought it was going to be, like, how much it was important that she was doing that. And really, it was, like, no. The the whole thing the entire time is that the, like, abuela was, like trying to control things and, like, you know, feeling shame around different people and pushing them out of the family. Um, so, yeah. Uh, was wrong for hurting her granddaughter by rejecting her Anna and then also Teal Bruna, um, who also is a fun character. Um... And then I said, uh, there's just a lot here around the other characters that I wish got developed more, uh, but kind of just get a, uh, fast paced Lin-Manuel Miranda song montage and then we move on. So this is another thing. It's like, there would be a character and then there would just be like, here's a song about it. Is it actually Lin-Manuel like, uh, Moana was? Um, I think he did all the, the like lyrics and melody stuff and then someone else wrote the under tracking. Okay. Um, I believe that's how it worked, or maybe they did under tracking, and he had to do melodies on top of it. But
1: okay, no, I was just curious. I didn't know because I knew he worked on Moana. I didn't know if he was still working with Disney on. So. No, yeah,
2: it, it's like my right Oh, okay.
1: is he just going to be their musical
2: guy now? Maybe. So this is the other thing I was thinking is I didn't write this in the things here, but I kind of missed when it was just like here's the like one Disney movie where it's like Peter Gabriel or whatever. Yeah, I, like. Like, yeah. we just, like, get one... Like, if it was LeMail Miranda, yeah. we got him from Rwanda, and then they moved on to something else, I would be m- more fine with it. But he's <sighs> just, like, their guy now.
1: Man. Now I'm thinking about... Because, like, the, part of the reason they get Peter Gabriel is he's, like, the biggest musician in the world at the time, or one of yeah. them. Now I'm just thinking about Billie Eilish doing a Disney <laughs>
2: movie. <laughs> great. I think she could do it. Yeah. Um, I think and she then, in, like, ten years, you'll be like, it's that weird movie where they got Billie Eilish to do the soundtrack. <laughs> and you're like, no, no,
1: no, it's actually good. Like, yeah. the, the thing about Billie Eilish is that she's actually a pretty normal singer who just has, like, kind of edgy textures and lyrics to draw younger people in. But she's just, like, a pretty traditional singer.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway. um. Yeah, so one of the examples that I gave was, like we basically get this like song and montage where the, the sister who I thought that the main character is going to have to apologize to. Uh, so she just like makes flowers all the time. Cause I didn't really exp- explain the premise, which is that like everyone in the household uh, inherits like magical powers, um, except the main character didn't get any. Mm-hmm. Um, and like everybody else does. And then people who marry into the family don't have it, but like all the descendants do.
1: I'm really glad when Coco came out, I remember, um, I really like a movie from, I think, 2014 called Book of Life. I really like that movie. I remember when Coco came out, people were like, oh, look, they're just ripping off Book of Life, and I'm really glad that Tumblr culture has seemingly moved past there can only be one movie about Mexican people.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, but anyway... She just makes pretty flowers all the time. Um, and then there's this part where she gets really mad at the main character and creates a cactus and then like recognizes that like not trying to be perfect all the time, like there actually like something really exciting about making a cactus for the first time in your life mm-hmm. um, even if it meant that you were like expressing a nasty emotion. Um, and then it has this like whole song about all the different plants that she can make that aren't flowers, and then we just move on and we don't hear from her again. And I'm Hmm. just like, I wish that was an episode of a TV show and not a Lou Manuel Miranda song. Yeah. Um, There's like the really strong girl and she has her song about how she like feels like she has to like carry the weight of everything. Um, And like make that an episode and not just a montage that was still like fun montage. But like,
0: Mm.
2: yeah. So that was my main complaint is that like, I like that, like the, the story is mostly contained within a house or like um, the, the, like village a little bit outside of it, but it's like mostly in the house. And it's just mostly this family. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wish that they like allowed more space for like the different characters to like get the spotlight on them beyond just like, here's a song that mm-hmm. is the person like expressing to the main character, mm-hmm. whatever's going on with them. And then we like literally just move on. Yeah. So I guess um, it, real quick, but, I, I
1: want to correct something I said. It, I should have said Hispanic people. Cause I know this movie takes place in Colombia, which is not Mexico. You know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just wanted to correct that before I because it was like mildly racist on my part. So, yeah, <laughs> um,
2: but also for a long time, this is what
1: Tumblr was just seriously like, Oh, Coco is bad because it's ripping off Book of Life. Because of, I guess there can only be one animated movie about Mexican people in the eyes yeah. of Tumblr. This is the discourse that I remember,
2: yeah. Um, anyway, I gave this an S. For stairs? For stairs. There's the main stairwell in the family home.
1: Right. Because if it's all in one house, then you get the...
2: Yeah, so you get lots of scenes around stairs, which includes, like, when there's... So, the the youngest, like, um, cousin, I think, or, or brother of the main character. Because um, it's, like, two... Like, the abuela has, like, two daughters, and then there's, like, families, So, she also has cousins. Mm-hmm. Um, who are living in the same house. But, um... I think it's her, her cousin and he's like little and like goes up the stairs for the ceremony. And we get like a flashback to when she did the ceremony where you like are supposed to get your powers hmm. from the house. Um, and she didn't get them, but then he gets the power to talk to animals. But the pa- so the, the house gives you powers. Yeah. I
1: missed this part.
2: The, yeah. There's magic. So there's this candle that's like at the top of the house and it's uh-huh. like the thing that like blesses the entire house and gives everyone magic. Um, and then a is supposed to tend to it. Um, And everybody else kind of gets, like, powers from the house from the candle. So everybody has magic who's, like, a descendant. So, like, you know, when I was saying, like, (laughs) makes flowers, like, pretty flowers, like, she's, like, magically just producing flowers. Um, There's, like, another sister who's, like, mood controls the weather. And so she's all, like, freaking out about the wedding coming up. And so there's just, like, storms above her all the time. This sounds kind of cute. The mom can heal people with the food that she cooks. Um, This does
1: sound a... A little tiny bit like somebody at disney was like oh columbia magical realism <laughs> yeah it's a little bit but it was, it was fun that's not what magical realism is that's not what magical realism,
2: magical realism is, <laughs> is. But, magical realism uh, no is. but um but anyway so yeah there's the main stairwell um that's going up in the house and then because the house is magic too like it can change its stairs and things like, and like the stairwell in particular moves around a lot other parts of the house, but like the stairs the most. So there's like a part where like a character is trying to go up and the house is like not yet or whatever. And so it like turns into a ramp. So they slide back down and things. So there's a lot around the stairs. And then there's the part where, um, she goes into Tio Bruno's room. Um, and inside the room, it's just like a, a different space. Um, once they get their magic powers and in his, he, he has the power of prophecy. um, And it's just, like, this, like, immense, immense stairwell where it's just, like, you're, like, climbing. You know, like, if you, like... If there's, like, a quarry and you would, like, dug out stairs all around, she used to climb up all of those. And there's a part where she says... That's pretty sick. Yeah, and there's a part where she's, like, there's a lot of stairs. And I was, like, (laughs) I mean, I gotta give it an S. Like, you have an entire (laughs) plot point about how many stairs you have to climb up to try and, like, find out more about why your, your house is falling apart, so... Good stairs. <laughs> okay.
1: I'm not going to be defensive about this. You're already defensive about this. Okay. I watched three and a half Marvel movies. I just feel like it's very easy for me to come on this podcast after I've talked shit about Marvel movies for, like, however long, i be like, I watched three and a half Marvel movies in two days. And when I say I don't want to be defensive, what I mean is... I got home from work on Wednesday. I was tired. Nora was already halfway through Eternals. Of course, I'm just going to watch Eternals. It's what's on TV. And then from there, it's like, well, I could go watch 2046, but I'm tired. And, you know, Shang-Chi is right here. You know, we're already in Disney+. Plus. Might as well hit play on
2: Shang-Chi. We already opened the bag of chips. I might as well keep going.
1: Yeah, and then the next day, Nora and I wanted to spend time together. We haven't, like, you know, we're in the same space a lot, but we don't, you know, intentionally spend time together all of that time. So Nora really wanted to watch a movie, and I was like, why don't we just keep watching Marvel movies? So that's what we did. Um. Anyway, so the first of these movies I watched, and I will admit, I came in like an hour or 90 minutes into this movie but Eternals is one of the most dog shit, awful movies I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) It's terrible. Yeah. Okay. One, I could not understand what was going on. Nora had to pause to answer my questions so many times, and every time she answered my questions, I had more questions. And I don't understand that movie. I don't understand what the premise is. I don't understand why anybody was fighting. When I came in about an hour... In there was 45 minutes of people arguing over whether or not they should save humanity from destruction, and I could not for the life of me understand why they were arguing about it because these are the okay, the Eternals are people who live forever and they were sent here on some mission to like see that a celestial is born. And the Celestial is going to give life to billions more planets, but the Celestial in turn will kill everybody on Earth. So it's like they're all arguing because it's like, well, you know, pro-life, all the people that could possibly be born versus (laughs) (laughs) the people
2: choosing to save humanity
1: (laughs) versus all the people that will actively be killed by the Potential of people being born.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the fuck was happening in this movie. And the other thing about it. This is the wildest trolley problem I've ever (laughs) heard. Pull one lever and all of humanity is erased, but an entire new universe is born. Pull the other, or choose not to pull the lever and humanity just continues to grumble.
1: (laughs) So that's one thing. And then another thing. Is that it is dim? Like, I was constantly like squinting at the screen because it's like really, like the movie's really dim to where I was like having Nora like, no, 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 open the settings again. Is our TV fucked up? And then we'd be like, no, look. And I'm five minutes past, I'm like, no, our TV has to be fucked up. This movie can't look like this. And I pulled it up on my phone and I was like, it really looks like this. And then three, for no discernible reason, there was a whole big to-do made about how Chloe Zhao was able to convince Kevin Feige that they have to be able to shoot on location for this movie. You know, and Kevin Feige was so blown away by Chloe Zhao's previous film that he let her do it, that they shot a bunch of stuff on location. One, the locations look bad. Two, They're in a different on-location in every scene. There's, like, literally, like, you and me are having a conversation about, you know, should we let the humans die in the forest? And then, hard cut to me and Nora in a desert somewhere talking about should we let the humans die. Hard cut to you and Nora in Antarctica talking about if the humans should die. I don't know why there was a different, a whole different, like, biome in every conversation and then it would be like you and Nora would be in Antarctica and then it would cut back to you and me in a forest and I'm like what the f-
0: why is this happening
1: <laughs> I could not understand this movie
0: yeah.
1: and then okay so the big climax of the movie is that Kingo well okay okay there's Icarus <laughs> who is a white guy with an Irish accent Um, I think I think he had an Irish accent. I don't remember. <laughs> Icarus is like, I think we should let the humans die. And so he starts shooting his laser eyes at everybody. <laughs> and Kingo is like, well, I think we should let the humans die, but I think it's bad that he started shooting his laser eyes at his best friends. And so I'm leaving. And so Kamel Nanjiani's character just leaves for a while. And then the other characters fight Icarus.
2: I forgot that Kamel Nanjiani was <laughs>
1: <laughs> The other characters fight Icarus. When they beat him and they save the world, and then Camille Nanciani comes back and says, Isn't that a happy ending? And it was like, Where were you for the last 30 minutes? <laughs> also, Camille Nanciani is the only halfway charming person in this movie. He's yeah. by far the best actor in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Um I, I like him in a lot of stuff. He's I like him. Near, near um, charming guy. Yeah. Um, but he does just like it's just weird because he's the most charming and best part of this movie. And what he says and is... There's the part where he's like, I,
2: he's, I gotta go take a piss for a half hour.
1: <laughs> Basically, he's like, well, I think both sides have a good point, and so I will not make a decision, and I will leave the movie, and you can go have a fight scene.
2: <laughs> I don't understand My I'm a it. conscientious
1: objector. So then, they save humanity, right? Yeah. And they go back to arguing about whether or not it was okay to save humanity, and in the middle of an argument
0: one of the immortal we were done with this <laughs>
1: <laughs> one of the immortals is talking to her human boyfriend who's played by John snow
0: mm-hmm. and
1: John snow is like immortal lady I have something very important to tell you my father was a super and then a uh, uh, one of the celestials like picks up the immortal lady it is like you are coming back to my planet for judgment and then the movie ends. <laughs> And so, it's literally, they saved humanity. They're still having an argument. They're literally in the middle of conversations. The the conflict of the film is not resolved. And then, one person is like, I have a conflict for the next movie. And then another person is like, I have a conflict for the other next movie. (laughs) And then it ends. It's fucking stupid. I hate this movie. Also, it's an F for stairs. Oh, because the other thing is that one is on location, but the other thing is, there's a. They're constantly like. It's on location, but it wasn't quite snowy enough for us. So we're CGing in more snow. And then, ooh, here's a little CG monster guy that's going to come get ya. And he looks like dog shit because he is against real scenes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it turns um, out the
1: CG monsters look better when the sea. C-
2: this, like, you know,
1: Antarctica is also CG.
2: Yeah. Um, speaking of CG monsters, do you want to tell me about how I'm in Shang-Chi?
1: Yeah. Okay. So there's a bit in Shang-Chi where they go to the magic village um, and there's a nine-tailed fox with a little, uh, it's like a white nine-tailed fox and then it's got a little white nine-tailed fox puppy, cub.
0: Yeah.
1: What are those called? Kits. Kits.
2: Thank you. That's yeah. Also, cubs, but and pups, like all of those are valid okay terms. But kits is like yeah, the one that feels uniquely.
1: So there pups. is a little li- a literal arctic fox mom that it looks yeah. like a lowland vulpix. So yeah, that's me. That's you. Um,
0: anyway,
2: you
0: Shang- liked this movie. I liked you loved this, mo- this movie. It was your
2: favorite movie that you've seen all year.
1: <laughs> no, I liked this movie. It's um one of the better Marvel
2: movies. I will say it's one of the only Marvel movies that have come out recently where I have any knowledge of the production stuff with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because Jackie Chan's um, stunt team was involved. Yeah. Um, his So the stunt coordinator and fight coordinator were both from Jackie Chan's stunt team.
1: I won't say you can tell, because I don't think you can tell. But I'll say I watched this movie and was like, wow, they actually
2: tried with the fight scenes for once. That, yeah. was, that was my impression. My... Yeah, when I when I had heard this... I had this question and not enough to actually watch the movie to find out. But, like, who's going to win out? The Jackie it's... Chan stunt team or Marvel Studios?
1: It's a little bit of both. The low column A, yeah. low column B. Where, like, you can tell that these are better action scenes than Marvel usually does. But it's still not to the caliber of, like, a real Hong Kong action movie.
2: Yeah. Oh, I want to just take a quick... Because... I forget how much we really talked about this with the police story. Um, I was like, so we were just talking about like how great the action is there, mm-hmm. but like, if people are like, why do like, why am I complaining about the action and resurrections? Um, this is a thing that I think like some people don't immediately pick up on, but the, the way that like Yuan Wu ping is going to choreograph stuff. And is also going to have them shoot. That mm-hmm. is very different than like American fight scene choreography. Mm-hmm. And the primary difference is that like this, like, Hong Kong style, or, like, honestly, there's a fair number of areas and like, but, like, Taiwan, um, Hong Kong, like, those are, are some of the bigger ones, mm. or this, like, more Asian action style is one where you usually have people who are, uh, to some degree actually hitting each other, mm-hmm. um, often not nearly as hard as they're gonna, like, in some ways it's kind of, like, wrestling, like, professional yeah. wrestling, where people are selling the hits mm-hmm. as well, um... There's a certain level of artifice to it, but there's also a certain amount of, like, in a a wrestling ring, like professional wrestling, even though, like, it's quote-unquote fake, you're still, like, doing moves where you're, like, slamming your body into another person's body. Mm -hmm. Um, And usually they're making it seem more painful, and you, like, have tricks to not make it hurt as much when you, like, hit someone. Um, But there's still, like, a physicality to it. And Hong Kong action has that, and so that means that when people get hit... One, the camera's usually further away, so you see the full body, including the feet. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that when people get hit, the film keeps rolling. Mm-hmm. You don't get into a, a cut or anything. Mm-hmm. It just continues to go. There will be cuts at times to, like, let's, like, reframe the action. But it's more around, like, let's get it to another shot where we can show the next cool thing that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And not what happens in American action, which is that... One, you usually have it zoomed in more where you can't see people's feet because then you would see that the way that the blocking is, people are actually farther away than they are making it look on the film. Right. Um, Because you can have people stand further away, but point the camera in such a way. And if you especially can't see the feet, it makes it look like they're closer than they are. Yeah. So you do that. And then at the moment where there would be the kick, you cut like basically right (sighs) after like you would start to have the reaction to then a a reaction shot. Mm -hmm. Um, So you might get a little bit of like the head turning. And mm. then it will cut to the person who's, like, been kicked, like, staggering back or whatever mm. um, to try and sell you that action instead. Yeah. And it's really just a difference of, like, the, the other style, like, has the actual excitement of, like, these are human beings, like, performing action in a way that, like, the Hollywood style doesn't. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, like, why I especially why I would then complain about resurrections because part of what made the matrix so special was the fact that they are bringing in this style yes. to a Hollywood movie where yes. this was not the norm. Yes. Um, I, um, and also where I would want Shang-Chi to do this as well. Cause I'm, I'm assuming that Shang-Chi probably has like more homage to yeah Asian action cinema. I'll talk about Shang-Chi
1: a little more in just a second. I, I will just say like, um, I think every frame of painting was a really bad YouTube series that like gave people a lot of bad ideas about film. Yeah. But um, every frame of painting literally has a video about this exact phenomenon that I think is very helpful because one, he's literally just repeating things that Jackie Chan said, like the, the entire script is him just repeating things that Jackie Chan has said. And two, you can like literally see a visual of this happening. So if any of what we just said doesn't make sense, Go look up every frame of painting Jackie Chan um, and you can see like a visual of this stuff happening. Don't watch any of the other videos on that channel. All of them are bad. I promise you, you're going to learn a lot of dumb things about cinema if you watch that channel. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, um, yeah, Shang-Chi to me felt like one I think we had this conversation a little bit right before the podcast started. You and I both think that, like, you know, there's a way of thinking about the world that, like, oh, if you get queer people in Disney movies, that's going to lead to, like, queer liberation. That, like, queer representation in mass media is, like, an important and powerful thing that will change the world. I don't think that's true.
2: Yeah.
1: However, I do get excited when I see, like, representation of like you know not like cishet white people in um, movies I still think like that's a cool thing even if I don't think it's like a liberatory thing
0: yeah and
1: so the fact that like 40% of this movie is just in Chinese I think is pretty neat yeah. like I just thought that was exciting and that this movie is about like you know um, two different people like a person who immigrated to the U S from China and a person who was born of people who like immigrated to the U S from China. And those are the two main characters. I think that's interesting. Like, I think it's a really cool thing that it like it's dealing with thematically. Um, And most of this movie to me feels like someone at Marvel studios said, Hey, what if, like, these movies are really big in China and and really big in Hong Kong. Like, that's where we make all our money. Let's try to make a movie that's kind of like the other movies that are popular there, basically. And so it kind of does, like, good Hong Kong action scenes that you want, but it's still kind of a Marvel movie, and so they can't really, like, actually capture the style of it. And they have, like, a lot of, like, Wuxia movie like aesthetics that's like oh you know these are like I don't know if they're, these are still hugely popular but for a long time these were like very 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 popular movies in China and I imagine they still are um you know Red Cliffs is not that long ago <laughs> yeah um like oh Wuxia stuff like we'll put that in the movie and it's like it's kind of there and it doesn't really feel authentic but it's cool to see a Marvel movie gesture at it you know yeah. it's it it, not just from a representation standpoint, but from a, like, oh, like, I, as an American, am a fan of Hong Kong action movies. And so, when I see an American movie, like, trying to ape the style of stuff I actually like, I'm like, oh, this is more palatable than most of the other. <laughs> That's the big thing, is, like, I sound like i really, really high on Shang-Chi, Mostly, I thought it was, like, a good movie. I yeah. enjoyed my time with it. There was also parts of it where I was like, oh, turn this shit off. It's so bad. Like, Ben Kingsley shows up because it, like, has to tie back into the Marvel Universe for some reason. Yeah. And every time Ben Kingsley is talking, I'm like, get this motherfucker off my screen. I hate this movie.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, While you were talking, I, I looked up. I think it was... My brother was telling me about this. Um, I forget if... I think it was... Green Hornet and not Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. There's a some movie that came out um, in China when my brother was in Xi'an, um, and I guess they like did a different edit for China where they like really focused on the the like psychic character who's played by a like actual. Well, yeah, because that know. that
1: character in the original '60s show is played by Bruce Lee, so yeah. that's probably yeah, why I they think, would have emphasized.
2: Yeah, I think it was the Green Hornet, and I think it was uh, JHO who's a. Like Taiwanese singer, mm-hmm. uh, it was like a big person, but like they like really emphasized him and like played up his stuff in the movie. There's um, um it he was describing it to me, and I was like, "That sounds a lot better than the one that we got." <laughs> there's
1: there's an interesting thing in this movie, in Shang Chi, where like I say, probably like forty percent of it is just in Chinese, Um and it's really interesting because. When it is in Chinese, it feels very choiceful about like, you know, the American kid is speaking English and her Chinese mother is speaking Chinese back to her, you know, that sort of stuff. Like it's being like this character is speaking Chinese in this moment because like that's how she feel like she expresses herself in Chinese and this character is speaking English in this moment because like she's more comfortable in that language or, you know, blah, blah, blah a lot of the time it feels very choiceful about that. And sometimes it feels not choiceful at all about it. Sometimes it feels like these characters are speaking English because this is a movie that is coming out in America and we're going to make these characters speak English now, even though it feels like counter to why other characters were speaking Chinese like 10 minutes ago, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Um, so, um, I would I would be curious to know like in China is more of that movie in Chinese. There's there's specifically they go to a like magical village that's in another dimension. Um, Is that that where I am? Yeah, that's where that's where the fox is. Um, They go to this magic village in another dimension Mm -hmm. that is like you know very specifically like you know this is like where the Wu stuff is like we're wearing like you know traditional, like, Chinese garb, you know, and stuff like that. Um, and it, occasionally, not much, but occasionally characters in that village speak English, and I'm like, y'all are literally in a different dimension. Who taught you how to speak English? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where the fuck did you learn to speak English? <laughs> Were there colonizers in an alternate dimension, too?
0: <laughs>
2: um yeah um a quick thing that i had that i was gonna gonna say about like representation stuff Mm because i I think i'm i'm often like fairly down on representation as just like a, a key concept for a lot of stuff i'm particularly cynical around like the stuff that will come up in disney around like queer stuff because so much of it is just like Oh, like the LGBTQIA market is like a we mm-hmm. got to like tap that. We got to get the money.
1: LGBTQIA plus, please put the plus. It's yeah. very important, yeah. you know, like so you can feel the executives like making sure they get all the terms right, you know. Yeah. Um
2: Yeah, it's just like it, it and so much of it is like it is now profitable to sell to us. Yes. Yes. Um And so what I often talk about instead is, like, queer resonance, which is, like, when does something, like, actually speak to queer experiences? And sometimes that will include representation. Mm-hmm. And other times, and this is, like, a thing that I talk about with, like, old anime stuff, is sometimes there's, like, stuff from old anime where it's, like, okay, this is, like, resonating with queer experiences, even if it's, like, never mm-hmm. representing things. Yeah. And that's actually, like, more valuable to me because also historically for a long time that's, like, a way that queer people had to talk about things. Was yeah. like, through... These, like, resonant rather than direct representation. Um, All that said, the reason why Sensei is my favorite Wachowski thing is the first time that I watched it, um, every time that Nomi and Amineda were on screen, um, I would just start crying. Mm -hmm. And it was because I'd never seen, like, a TV show of, like, that kind of budget. Where there's a trans person and they're just like unconditionally loved mm-hmm. by like a person, mm-hmm. like a partner. They're not like a dead hooker. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm particularly using that term for like mm. the trope, but like, yeah. you know, a sex worker is being murdered. Yeah. Um. They're not like someone who's just, I mean, there's still stuff around her, like being disowned from her family and things, but it's not like someone who's just like portrayed as inherently unlovable. Mm which is just so much of like what I got growing up mm. um, in a way where my parents were like, you never showed any signs. And it's like, yeah, I wonder why when we watched Ace Ventura, I wasn't like, yeah, I'm like the weird villain at the end. <laughs> like, <laughs> I wonder why I didn't I say to you, yeah, I identify with the weird, like, you know, dead murder victim or like, the joke or the the mm. person who like the entire point is that they're a monster that can, can't be loved. I mm. wonder why I wasn't like, yeah, that one, that's <laughs> what I want to be like. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I just cried a lot whenever, mm. uh, Nomi was just being loved. Mm. Cause I was like, I don't, I don't get to see this.
0: Yeah. I
1: mean, I was, <clears throat> there's, um, a scene in black Panther, um, the 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 final scene with Michael B. Jordan and Black Panther really like hits me, like really like fucking hits me, and I, whenever I think about that scene, I have to like carry like one. I think like representation can be a very like moving thing to me, you know. Um, like I can feel like an emotional like. I can just feel very moved by like seeing like representation of people and cultures that are not represented in like um movies commonly and also I don't think that that is like valuable politically because the next scene in Black Panther is we opened a tech school in Oakland and so now everything is fine. Yeah. <laughs> we solved racism by Buying kids' laptops and telling them to learn how to code. Yeah, but
2: yeah, um, yeah. The the problem with society is the pipeline, not what happens once you funnel all these kids into the yeah. horrible oppressive society. Yeah, the the problem,
1: <coughs> the problem affecting black black communities is not <laughs> that school is specifically built to like generate like. School is specifically built to send kids to prison because prison is free labor for the rest of society. That's not the problem with school at all. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't affect...
2: Me. God. Um, well, anyway, there's such a stupid movie, but also it's a really good movie. <laughs> Do you have a rating for The Stairs in Shang-Chi? D,
1: um, in the... So there
2: were stairs.
1: In the... Um, uh you know magic village there is a really nice like marble stairwell it's only like five steps and basically um Shang-chi the main guy um like punches his dad who's played by Tony Leung and Tony Leung flies past the stairs and then Shang-chi jumps after him so
2: I'm glad Tony Leung got that that Disney money okay I also I was
1: watching that movie and I you know, once again, like being very, sometimes being very choiceful about when characters are speaking Chinese, sometimes not making any sense as why the character is speaking English right now. Um, that is particularly funny around Tony Lung's character because I'm not wholly sure of like Tony Lung's confidence in his ability to speak English. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, he's one of the greatest actors ever, and so he feels very confident in. Saying like his lines, but sometimes he just like you could see his eyes flicker to someone else as he's like, "Is that how I say that?" Okay, cool. <laughs> um, Tony Long's really, mm, Tony Long's really bad in that movie, but he's still Tony Long, and so he's acting circles around everybody else.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. got I'm I'm glad that you just got that money. Yeah, you know. Yeah. That's another thing of, like, oh,
1: like, these movies are very popular in China. Let's just get the most popular actor in China and, like, put him in the movie. And probably, I, I wasn't going to watch that movie if it didn't
2: have Tony any long in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you want to just do your one other Marvel movie, or should I do a brief diversion? You know or... what? I will, because I don't want to talk
1: about it. Uh, Nora and I watched X-Men, the 2000 Brian Singer movie. Um, I enjoyed it in the same way that I have always enjoyed X-Men, we watched it because um, we were watching different X-Men movies and I was like, wait, I think I don't know, like, the continuity. Like, we were watching X-Men Dark Phoenix and I was like, what happens in that other X-Men movie? What happens? So we were just like, oh, let's just start at the start. And we watched the Brian Singer X-Men movie, which is a movie um, I enjoyed. I will be upfront about that. I enjoyed. Um, You know, uh i don't want to talk about it any further because um i hope brian singer dies um i hope it's painful um f for stairwells i don't remember if there are any stairwells but i don't want to like give this movie any more praise than i have to um so i enjoyed that movie and that's the end of that
2: conversation (laughs) um as someone who like never really cared a ton about comics Um, I really liked X-Men stuff growing up. Yeah. And then also Batman the Animated Series. Yeah. And like the Batman movies. I never really read any like Cape comics.
1: I don't know how... I would like for Nora and I to like watch through all the X-Men movies in the next couple months. And once I get to first class or something like that, I can start actually talking about it on this podcast. I really like those first couple X-Men movies. But yeah, you just can't... I don't want to say anything more good about it than, yeah, I guess I like them because Brian Singer is the worst person who's ever lived <laughs> um, or among mm-hmm. them anyway. So,
2: um, so last, this is the last thing I'm going to talk about before we get to the movie. Cause I'm probably going to talk about the one other movie I watched, which was heritage Africa mm-hmm. in the context of love, brewed in African pot, because they're both Kwanzaa. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I watched Pastoral to Die in the Country. Um, and so this is a movie that I, I saw, like, right around the time I was, like, first getting into Kurosawa stuff. I don't even know. It must have been, like, through Netflix or, like, maybe there is a copy at, like, that, that um, like, VHS DVD rental place was weird enough that they may have had a copy. Mm-hmm. There was just, like, if someone working there was super into something, it would be there in their, like, little selected Mm -hmm. section and that like curated section was really good Mm -hmm. i just watched so much stuff from it but anyway um i think i probably got it through through netflix that feels like the still over there yeah just sleeping in this like body pillow huh um you got a body pillow over there well so when uh, emily was pregnant okay there's like a thing that like helped because Pregnancy see like, fucks your body up. I thought you
1: were saying you had, like, a major Kusanagi, like, body no. pillow over there. That's no. what I thought you were saying.
2: No, it was Emily's. Okay. Although, sometimes, like, if Emily's gone, I will put it in the bed just to, like, have a... Because th- otherwise, it's, like, too big. I don't know what to do with the bed that big.
1: I just... I just remembered when your birthday is, and I'm going to look up major Kusanagi body pillow. Just keeping that in the back of my mind.
0: Anyway... Um.
2: Anyway, Pastoral to Die in the Country, it's a great fucking movie. <laughs> um, and I, I watched it and I had this moment where my brain just unfurled and I like understood part of who I am as a person, mm-hmm. um, which is, I started it and I was like, this movie like starts more weird and intense than I remember. Because I, I thought I remembered it starting more with, like the frame of it is basically, um, so it's made by uh, Terayama Sh- Shuji. And the plot of it is, like, this movie is based on his own childhood. And it is a film that's being made by a director based on his childhood. But, like, the actual film is, like, kind of weird and surreal and abstract. Um, And then there's this additional thing that I thought was a framing thing. But actually, like, you're, like, halfway through the movie when suddenly this comes up. Which is that, like, you reach this point and then the movie just, like, feels like it just ends. And then it just cuts to like, like, it's like you even get like the real, you mm-hmm. know, like at the end of a reel where you'll just see like weird stuff for a moment before that like finishes spinning out. Yeah. um And then it cuts to inside of a, a like screening theater and it's a film critic who's like the friend of the director. It's an actor playing the director. Um, but it, like basically an actor is playing the director of the actual film. And they start having this conversation where he's like, yeah, I'm like doing this film and it's based on my childhood, but I don't really know what to do with it. I'm like having this weird thing where if I start like, if I start making a film out of my my own childhood, I am like taking these experiences and memories that I have and I am turning it into an object and in turning like in objectifying it and turning it into an object, I am like creating it into like I am. Instantiating the fiction of it as like a a a actual thing that will exist, and this is like separate and different from Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. how memories normally function. And so like if in telling it, like in telling it, I'm actually like losing it in some way. Yeah. Um. And it's like changing in this process, and I'm like becoming even less clear of like my own memories. Okay. Um. And then the the film critic is like, "Well, I have a puzzle for you. If you want, if you had a time machine." and you went back in time, and you killed your great-grandmother, would the present you still exist? And I think the fact that he says present you is important here. Because you can still do this version where you're like, maybe the present me does exist. Maybe when I go back and kill it, like my grandmother, I'm creating like an alternate timeline, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you can have that? But so he starts like having this question of like, if I went back in time, but then the movie becomes focused on, so that... He's then thinking and pondering about this, and it's just like throughout all of it it's been like in color. Um, it's these like abstract, like these kind of like weird surreal scenes happening in um uh like in this village. And we're getting like various little plot lines, like where we get the carnival where there is um this woman who's like supposed to be like the fat lady or whatever, but she just like wears a fat suit that needs to be inflated uh, but then there's like she's got an inflation kink going on or something it's like extremely <laughs> what's happening here because she just like keeps like wanting guys to like inflate her up and be like pump harder and stuff um it's definitely that's what's happening there um when I got to the first carnival scene I was like I remember every single part of this movie now suddenly um the entirety of the the movie came flooding back into me um but anyway and then there's like a. Uh, woman who's pregnant and she has a baby, but the baby has a mark that like means that it's cursed. And so then like all the old ladies are like, you need to kill your baby. Um, because otherwise like this entire village is going to be cursed. Um, there's like the plot going on with the, the younger version of the director at his house and his mom, he wants to get a, a watch because he saw it at the carnival. Um, and his mom is like, no, we have a the clock at home. We just have the one clock at home. Like, you should just, like, use the one clock at home. A clock is, like, meant to be on a wall, and it's, like, for the family. You shouldn't be carrying, like, a small clock around with you in your pocket. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this, like, becomes, like, a important image as well. Um, there's just all the stuff. But, and then, like, just, like, stuff going on with, like, the clock is not chiming right and everything. Um, so, yeah, there, there's just, like, multiple, like, weird, interconnected, kind of dreamy, things that are happening you just get like a sequence of like a woman dancing in uh on the beach just wearing like a red net and nothing else and she's just like doing you know interpretive dance basically um, it's just extremely like there's a lot happening in this movie yeah so anyway that's all in like cover, color and a lot of it is like extremely chemically processed where like colors are like like it's like um oh am I? Am I, um, you sent me a, sc- a screenshot of some of this. Yeah. Um, is it real
1: quick? Is this on streaming anywhere? Because I kind of want to watch this.
2: Um, no, but I can get you. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, it's like Wonkar. Y Like, will go and do a bunch of video processing, but there's no like, there isn't color grading in the sense that you have a computer. Yeah. It's just like literally like I need to just like dye entire parts of this film red or whatever. Right. Um. So it's like very intense and and interesting to look at. Um, anyway, halfway through, there's a sequence and it's all in black and white and it's just like in Tokyo, very Is this realistic. movie like six hours long or? No, it's like an hour and a half. It's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's an hour and 40. Anyway, um, I don't want to like do the full mm. ending stuff. No, but, no, no. Uh, he, he walks up a st- set of stairs. And sees his younger self waiting for him at the top of the stairs that like going into his apartment. Um, And then at this moment, they open the door and it goes back into the movie. Except now he is in the movie in his past. And he is like having conversations with his younger self. And he's trying to convince his younger self to kill his mom. Um, And then eventually is like, I have to like take this on myself. Like my goal is I need to like, I don't, I have to figure out. If I kill, like, my mother... Not my mother, like, right now, in the present, but if I kill the mother of my childhood, will I continue to exist as the person that I am right now? Or are even my memories that I have of my mother from my childhood an important part of the person who I am now? Like, will this change who I am as a person or not? Okay. <laughs> and I don't want to, like, give away what the final yeah. ending of the, the movie is, but... um. So, yeah, it's it's just, like, a very intense movie about, um, like, I enjoy it a lot, but it's, like, a movie about going back and, like, working through your childhood, basically. I watched this movie and I, I was, like, frantically Googling, like, was Teriyama gay? <laughs> okay. Because, <laughs> you know, sometimes I've had questions of, like, what happens if I kill the mother of my childhood and my memories? <laughs>
1: okay. When I was a much younger person, I was really, 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 really into the movies of Charlie Kaufman. Um, in particular, I really liked adaptation and Cynic Doce New York. Which adaptation, if you're not, fam- if people are not familiar, I assume you Nia are. Um, adaptation is a movie where that Charlie Kaufman writes, where Nicolas Cage plays Charlie Kaufman having trouble writing a movie. Um, and he's, like, got writer's block really intensely. Um, and there there is also... He's trying to write a movie where Meryl Streep is, like, hunting down some flowers or something. And so, also, in the movie, you see Meryl Streep, like, hunting down flowers or whatever it is she's doing. Um, that was one. And then Synecdoche in New York was another charlie kaufman movie i really really liked that was about um philip seymour hoffman is like a playwright and and like director of plays who like is like i'm gonna do a play where we like fully like capture everything that life can be you know it's gonna got it's gonna have birth death marriage school like we're gonna do a, a play that like is so big, and so it'll have everything that life can possibly offer, uh, and you know, it just starts, like, ballooning, and, like, cost and complexity, and, like, ruins his life, as he's like, no, 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 you have to, like, you know, put put this stuff in, and, oh, there's a playwright who, we're gonna add a character who's playwright, who is a playwright whose life is getting ruined by making a play that's too big, and all this sort of stuff, so.
0: Yeah.
1: Um... And then in 2018 or 2019, I watched um, Anomalisa, which is a movie so terrible (laughs) (laughs) that it made me hate every Charlie Kaufman movie I had previously enjoyed. Um, Anomalisa is, you know, also Charlie Kaufman, also, you know, very much about the similar things that Adaptation and um, Synecdoche are about. But the thing that is his undoing this time is not his own sort of, like, getting in his own way and, like, wanting to, you know, make things too big and too elaborate, but actually it's about how women are just stupid, and women ruin everything, and if if my ex-wife didn't break up with me, and if, if you know, this 17-year-old girl who I just really got infatuated with would just fuck me already... <laughs> <laughs> um, Anomalies is a really bad movie. Yeah. Um, anyway, I bring all this up because I just heard you telling me all that, and I was like, "Oh man, this is like kind of hitting the part of my brain that used to like Charlie Kaufman movies, but sounds like way, way, way better."
2: <laughs> yeah. um, it's a really good film. I I enjoy it a lot. It's a film that I could see some people watching and being like, you know, oh, this is this is like this is too artsy film for me or whatever, but um, I think it's just like in this very interesting space of um, trying to explore like the similarities between cinema and then like dream space and then using it to like Mm -hmm. talk about the, the both the reality and unreality of like your memories and trying to interrogate stuff around your childhood. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, I, I did bring up a thing. So the other thing that was like exploding during my brain during this and so it was like oh this is why I love Utena so much. Okay, um, yeah. And so this is this is just one thing that might be a direct homage. Oh yeah. Which is so this is one shot where I can find but often we get this hand pointing
0: mm-hmm. that will
2: just appear and it's like literally a sign that he'll put up. But it also shows up in Utena. Like this like there are ways that like he will put things that are like a graphic thing but he'll have it like straight with the screen and like put it in the weird place where it doesn't make sense. Other than just to like have it being existing in the shot that he's making mm-hmm. that reminds me of the way that Utena will just like put something over. Yeah. We'll just be like, there's a rose here now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, or there's a hand here now. Yeah. In the screenshot.
2: Um so yeah, that that was one of the things. Um the there's some other stuff. Like, the other thing I realized when I was watching this is um so there's also it's an episode that like Connor and I are currently watching uh, Ghost in the Shell second gig and recording those episodes because Ghost Divers has like a gap in the production. Um, and those have been the, the weirdest because we're doing all these movies in between and those are going to be like a short turnaround, which means that like in December, we were recording a Ghost in the Shell episode that wasn't going to go out until like April or something. <laughs> but um, normally it's not that extreme. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, there's an episode where the Japanese title is Grass Labyrinth. Which is just another Teriyama film, so, huh. um, like a lot of the the titles are like references to things, um, and that's one that I enjoy like as an episode, and like as a thing that's like doing this like weird shop of memories that people are going to, where I can like definitely see how Teriyama is like influencing that.
0: Mm. I
2: hate what that episode means for the story and like what it how they're using that to, like, reframe how they think about the major as, like, this person who's trying to do good or whatever, which is not, I mean, Major Kuzanagi's a bad person. <laughs> I think she's interesting because I, I see in her, like, experiences that I've had trying to, like, do trans liberationist work and butting up against, like, trans people in the military.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: She's a trans person in the military to me, and I don't mean that in a good representation sense. I mean that in the sense of, like, there are axes at which she's like being oppressed and yet is still actively choosing to be the boot that stomps some people because it gives her access to power and she loves that power. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know how you like radicalize that person. And mm-hmm. that's why I love Major Kusanagi because like she's a fictional character where I can just be frustrated about how like there's no way to <laughs> radicalize her because she fully identifies with being like the boot of the state, um, even though there are like so many reasons why she t- should turn against the state that is also oppressing her.
1: I'm kind of anyway. excited to watch that movie. Yeah. I was so low on that movie, but I think I've just reshaped my taste to be a person who's really, like, going to embrace the Oshi.
2: Yeah. The major in the movie is the most, like, I'm questioning my life. The, the major in Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex is, like... If you don't like the way that this world works and how like corrupt the cops are, that's your fault because you haven't changed the world. So fuck <laughs> you. <laughs> that's like literally the start of the first episode of Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex of someone being like, if you are like the cops and like what hope is there for justice in this society? And she's like, well, you should have just changed society and shoots. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> she's an, She's an awful war criminal. Um anyway. Liking Major Kuznagi is like liking the Israeli army lady <laughs> <Gal> Gadot <laughs> Her too. But, <laughs> but she's a fictional character, so I can feel slightly better about it. Yeah. Um Anyway, uh I gave this a C, mm-hmm. which the moment where he goes up and sees his younger self. Um Is a good moment, but it's like basically the only stairs in this movie and we barely see them. It's like a very close following up the stairs um, and it's kind of pointed up. So you like hardly even see the stairs themselves. So two hours. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love brood in the African pot. <laughs> I'm
1: not even complaining. I just been kind of like glancing over every now and then. I'm like, yeah. Oh, wow. We're going long. And then I was like, all right, two hours.
2: This is what happens when we do a like
1: a gap week.
2: Yeah, when we do an episode in the gap week where we don't talk about any of the movies that we watch, because all of that Matrix talk could have gone in the yeah yeah. Um, anyway, anyway, Kwa Quanza. Um,
1: Love in the African Pot is a nineteen eighty film. Yes. yes, directed by Quanza. Um, it is you know the first like i want to make sure i get the phrasing on this right um but i believe the first like privately funded um uh Ghanaian film um
2: yeah
0: that's yes, how they
2: describe yes. it and part of what i think is significant about it is that this is like coming out after like independence mm-hmm. um like movement stuff in ghana mm-hmm. um and so it's a it's a thing that's like this happens even more in heritage Africa, but it is like a th- a thing that is like being made like shortly after they are like gaining freedom from Britain mm-hmm. and then like he's making films that are talking about it and that are critical in a way that like they just couldn't be before
1: yes, um so in some ways, this is like um a very like familiar movie. To me in some ways. Not because I had never seen this movie before today. But like. So the, the, the main. I also ca- had
2: seen this before today.
1: <laughs> yeah. The main character Abba. Um, you know. Is her. Her father sent her to. Like a good. Quote unquote. Like a good school in. Um, in Cape Coast. Um, and wants her to marry. Like a doctor a lawyer or an engineer. And. Um, And a, you know, the son of a local council member or or a local council member comes to their home and says, um, you know, my son's a lawyer and he would love to marry your daughter. Um, So the the dad who, you know, this is like very important. The dad is always walking around. He's got his car that he's spending the whole damn movie fixing up. He's walking around in like, you know khaki pants and like a white collared shirt and you know, these sorts of things, um, yeah. a belt. A, like belt, a leather belt. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, so he's very excited at the idea of his daughter getting to marry a lawyer. Um, meanwhile, she's been like sneaking out, um, and like fooling around with, um, a, a man named Joe, um, who is like, you know, the son of a fisherman, he's a, you know, local auto mechanic, um, does not have much money, you know? Yeah. Does not come from, like, a prestigious family with a prestigious education, um, and so she falls for Joe, uh, her daughter, do- her dad wants her to marry, um, this lawyer guy, but she's like, no, I'm gonna marry Joe, and, like, that is a, that is a plot I have seen many things, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, of... You know, that is just like a and then you get a, a little bit after that, too, of like, you know, scenes of their marriage. And you're like, OK, I I know this sort of stuff of like, you know, he gets jealous of because he thinks that she's actually going to, you know, leave him for this um, lawyer guy, et cetera, et cetera.
2: Yeah. And like <laughs> he has to have her like read letters Mm-hmm. To him and things, which I yeah. like, I think there's also a certain amount of like, oh, like she's smarter than me. Yeah, there's like this educational difference. Yeah, uh, I'm not smart enough for her.
1: Or, or there's like um, some other stuff. Like, they go to dinner at her parents' house, and like he doesn't know like proper table manners, and it hasn't like yeah. used like silverware much in his life before this. Yeah, because when we or- see
2: them eating at home, she's like making it more on a like traditional Ghanaian style where they're like using bread to just eat the food.
1: Yes. And like, um, you know, they do a very like traditional Ghanaian wedding, um, and there's you know, like dozens of people there that are like playing drums and dancing and all this sort of stuff. Um meanwhile the dad like doesn't even come to the wedding because he's sitting at home imagining his daughter with like a pro like a proper church. And there's like a lot of like European Imagery and like you know yeah. a good Christian family, um, that's all pretty normal stuff. <laughs> yeah, then pretty pretty standard fare. I think it's like well done. I enjoyed a lot of that. Uh, and then the last thirty minutes, the movie just t- takes a dive into hell. Quality wise, yeah.
2: I think. <laughs> yeah, I I there was a part where I was just like suddenly like like. The part that I understand is uh, Joe leaves.
1: Yes, he's jealous, and so he leaves.
2: Yeah. Um, And then, like, Abba's, like, uh, upset and heartbroken. Yes. Um, I think the biggest thing is that, like, I just... Like, she just, like, becomes, like... And I'm using this term intentionally, hysterical. Yes. In this, like, very, like... To some degree, like, women be crazy. <laughs> yeah, she's a, she's doing a little bit of
1: women be crazy. And then she runs into, she just happens to, quote unquote, run into the lawyer who's definitely been stalking her. Mm-hmm. Um, And he, like, insults her and is like, look at what you've done. And, you know, I, I'm going to go marry a different woman. You don't even, you can't have me if you wanted me at this point, blah, blah, blah. And that makes her, like, a little more hysterical. And then she like runs into a different guy who's like I'll drive you home um and just like you know take care of you and she hops in the car with him and he like rapes her and now she's like full 100% no re- no coming back hysteria
2: yeah it's very weird and then they like take her to like both like a witch doctor mm-hmm. sort of um and then also like a hospital mm-hmm. but like nobody can really help her and it Mm. it ends with the the like poster of like Joe comes back and is like carrying her in her in his arms, yeah, but it's um,
1: ambiguous like is Joe gonna be able to help her like um the witch the witch doctor is like, you know, um we've done some things to help, but you know, part of the problem is that she was like spurned by her lover, and like you need him to return and so i what I thought the movie was gonna do was that. He was going to return, and it was going to fix it, and it ends more ambiguously than that. Where yeah. he is able to calm her down a little bit, but she's not better.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: this, this whole last stretch of the movie is pretty bad, I think. But the, yeah, the first part of the
2: the first like ninety minutes of the movie, I really really enjoyed. So yeah, um, this is like. After watching this, I was like, I kind of wish that I picked that we did Heritage Africa. And mm-hmm. then I watched because I watched Heritage Africa earlier today while I was at work. Mm-hmm. Um, I just up until the last third, I was like, or the last like quarter of the movie, you know. I was like, I think I like this movie more than Heritage Africa. And then after the ending, I'm like, no, Heritage Africa is a better movie. Yeah. Um Both of these like operate in this like space of melodrama that um feels like a like it's kind of in this territory of like soap opera stuff almost Mm -hmm. um which i'm not saying like derisively i just like it's a mode of story telling and it's really what this is operating in um and like you haven't seen heritage uh heritage africa but i feel like some of the stuff is just like more contrived like there's like more stuff where it's just like oh here's the scene and then we like immediately see the like repercussions or we like see how it breaks bad and then like here's another one and we also like see how that goes bad um and it's all these stuff of like situations like arise and you immediately know how it's gonna go mm. um because the, the plot of heritage africa is that the main character um is this like Ghanaian man who is selected um to be the um i'm trying to remember the the term but like basically like a, a official um and so like after that he gets like he's allowed to move to the European quarter um, in Accra, um, which means that, like, he goes from the the style of houses that we see more in lovebreed in the African pot, which are more of these, like, African-style houses, mm-hmm. to here's, like, these European houses with, like, floors, and, like, him going upstairs to his house is, like, a significant image. Um, that's obviously, to some degree, like, symbolizing this, like, social climbing. Yeah, that he's doing... See. And then, like, him having to go down the stairs to, like, talk to people who are, like, coming to talk about their problems. And, like, it's just more set around, like, strikes that are happening during the, the like, colonialist uh, period and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but so much of it, like, the biggest one that was, like, weird to me... I can maybe see if this was, like, one of the final things before he, like, breaks and realizes that, like, him he's just like selling out to um like these white British people who are in power and are like giving him like a small modicum of power. If he'll just like turn against his own people and his own heritage. Um But like the big thing that they use there as like the final moment where he realizes like how much he's betrayed stuff is that um his mother gives him this like, family heirloom that supposedly has been passed down from like a warrior who like won it. Um, and then he gives it to like, try to appease mm-hmm. to like his boss mm-hmm. is like, Oh, like, here's this great thing. You can have it if you want, basically like, here's this like cool artifact mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, and then immediately again, like they like immediately show you consequences is like, then here's later where he's like, goes to see his mom and his mom's like, Oh, Like, I hope you're keeping the family heirloom, like, you know, it's like, what will like protect you and everything. And then he's like, Oh, well, you know, I was showing it to like my boss and like, he really enjoyed it. And she like immediately just knows where where he's like going with this, like hemming and hawing. Um, and it's just like, you know, you've cursed, like you've cursed yourself. Like your ancestors are disappointed in you. And Mm -hmm. then he like goes home and has this like nightmare about, you know, the like warrior ancestors who won this. And then they're like turning against him and things anyway um i do like it being like there's this really intense nightmare and then he's like having like you know struggling and like one of the things is he gets cut in that and then like wakes up and then like has a cut on his arm and i'm like i like this this is like weird but yeah but and so like if that was it i could buy that as like a turning point for him the part that, like plot-wise, I did not buy was that before this he was totally fine with the fact that, like, because his son left church to go watch a dance that was like a traditional Ghanaian dance, he got flogged so bad that he died, and he's just like, "That's fine." And I'm like, "I, I don't buy that this meant like the turning point." Your son died from being flogged for leaving church. That is not where you turn. But you do with, like, I understand, like, the importance of these heirlooms, too. But, like, your son's life is also really important. I just don't know why that wasn't. And it happens early in the movie. I just, yeah. Um. Huh. So, yeah, they're... I think, like, both of these movies are uneven. But um, yeah. they're also, like, it... I wish that there was, like, better transfers of these that we could find. Yeah, yeah. Um. Like, I, I wish that this had more attention. Yeah. Um, cause there's still like I, interesting things here. I think like, you know, um, I think there's
1: a lot of stuff in, in Love Brewed in the African Pot. That's like, sort of like inexpertly made, maybe, you know, yeah. like, I don't think that like some of these actors have a ton of experience acting. Yeah. There's a I lot th- of
2: non-professional actors. In this
1: yes. Thing. I think there's a lot of like oh, in any other movie, this scene would have ended, like, three seconds ago Mm -hmm. sort of thing. You know, like, that's like sort of like shagginess of, you know, a first-time director. Um, Yeah. And and with,
2: like, presumably, despite the fact that this is still, like, privately financed and probably had a decent amount of money thrown at it, Mm -hmm. um, it's still probably way lower budget than a lot of other... Yeah. Even lower budget things in other countries might have like again i think some of the soap operiness some of it is like that it is in this melodrama space mm. and some of it is that just like no we're just like in this room and we have to like shoot this scene yeah and we have like actors who aren't the best actors but we just have to do it and like at a moment one of them will like kind of stumble over the line and it's like well we can't like mm-hmm. that scene was mostly fine and we can't just like waste more film stock so yeah that's good we're gonna call it good yeah And so, Um, like,
1: there's, like, stuff in this that, like, you know, yeah, like, it has that sort of, like, shagginess to it, but I still, like, despite that, found a lot that was really compelling in this movie. Like, I just think that, like, um, like, you know, I think, like these sorts of themes are like show up in a lot of different things lost across a lot of different cultures for like a reason. Like, I just think that like, this is a compelling, like, um, like sort of like pitting two families against each other. Like one that's like assimilating into a colonizing culture and one that is not, I think it's just a compelling story to like explore.
0: Yeah. Like,
1: I think the most affecting part of love brood in the African pot is, um, when, um, uh, Kofi um, Abba's father like sent money to his family um, his like his like brother's niece or like his cousin's niece or something was like having a birthday and this was like a you know this was like a big deal you know and like the whole family is supposed to be there like the whole family is supposed to be there and he just sent money um and someone like an o- an older person from the family comes and says like we don't care about the money we care about you being there we care about you being like part of you know this family um money is not part of this family you are yeah. i find that like really affecting you know um yeah. especially with like you know, this older person in, you know, like, a more traditional, like, dress and, you know, Kofi and, like, his, you know, suit and tie sort of yeah. get up. Um, I, I just think it's, like, really well done. Um And, like, there's just a way that this movie... I think because, you know, some scenes, like, linger a little too long or, you know, it's... N- like there are a lot of people on the beach who are just actually like there to be on the beach and who are not like participating in the production of this movie. Let's say, um, you get like, you get just kind of like scenes of life mixed in with the melodrama that I think is like really affecting. And we're like, I think some of it feeling so naturalistic helps sell the stuff that's more heightened, you know? Yeah. Um, in a really good way.
2: Yeah. Like, I think, too, this film, even more than Heritage Africa, did a really good job of, like... There's just, like, extended scenes where it's, like, okay, we're, like, watching the wrestling on the beach, and it's, like... It's just people watching a wrestling match, this, right? Like, this doesn't and, like, serve... almost Like, there's a certain amount of... We're cutting to, like, oh, here's the... Here's, like, Abba reacting to, like, watching Joe win, mm-hmm. right? But, like, so much of it is, like, no, they just, like, had them wrestle and yeah like people on the beach thought it was fun and we just shot it like it like <laughs>
1: and you know probably like you know it's mentioned you know this film is like a huge hit across the, like a lot of English-speaking Africa like you know probably that's part of it it's like you know it's 1980 and you know you're going to the movie theater and you're like damn I've never just seen people like wrestle like this in a movie yeah. you know
2: yeah yeah um.
1: yeah
2: um. I enjoyed it I, sometimes I feel like part of my role on Ornate Stairwells is that I want to like say like here's this thing from some country like here's a movie that you probably haven't heard about that's probably from some country that's not the thing that like if you go and f- look for films made in Ghana on like Criterion Collection you're going to get the stuff made by the Ghanaian American short film director that we're going to watch in February mm-hmm. and that's it I think -hmm. Um, like I want to like try and find this stuff that's not all over the place, even if it means that we watch a bad YouTube (laughs) rip of a like VHS. it's what we were watching.
1: There are scenes that you know, once again, like a sort of inexpertly made film. There are nighttime scenes that I think are probably just not shot how anyone would tell you to shoot a nighttime scene. Yeah, because it's really fucking dark and. The VHS rip of the DVD rip that is put on YouTube and compressed looks really bad. To the point that there are, like, whole scenes that are literally just, like, literally just, like, you know, the whole TV was, like, a you know, hashtag zero, 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 zero,
2: zero, zero. (laughs) And, like, maybe in, like, a slight corner or something, there's, like, a little bit of, like, it going towards blue, and you're, like, something...
0: (laughs) And it was like, like moves slightly, like-
2: and then like suddenly like a little like white dot will appear on the screen. And you're like, Whoa. You know, there's like a scene where I was like,
1: I think I'm looking at it's like a whole the whole screen is black, and then there's like a little like white crescent shape. And I'm like, I think I'm looking at the reflection of a light off of Joe's forehead there. I yeah. think that's what
2: that is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um
1: It would be really nice if this movie was, you know, preserved a little better than that. Yeah.
2: Uh, The Heritage (laughs) Africa one was like, had less stuff where I was just like, I just can't even see what's happening right now. Um, (laughs) Or like the audio sometimes in this got really bad. And I, some of that is like, I'm sure if there's just a better preservation of it, a lot of that stuff would come through more. Yeah.
0: Um,
2: But, because that was the, the same like, um, Ghanaian Film Society or whatever. Um, that that did, this movie also did, I think, a preservation of um, Heritage Africa. And that one, I'm almost positive, was taken from, like, something that was intended for, like, airing on TV or something, because um, this one also had somewhere, like, we would get a cut and the music would end kind of abruptly, but in a way that I expect from a film. And that one, it, like, cut a little too strange where it felt like there was a commercial break. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know why it would be even worse in a second film. Yeah. Having like a sudden cut with the music. Mm -hmm. So, um, no, I enjoy both of these films. Yeah. Um, like
1: you say, this movie takes a real nosedive in quality, but for the most part, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good movie. So, yeah. Um, a little dry sometimes, I guess, but you know,
2: yeah. I um, um, think that I said when we were watching it is, and I think some of this too is just the fact that like he's writing it and directing it, and you know, there's probably not a ton of people working on this. Um, there just isn't like a, a filmmaking apparatus, probably, yeah, in Ghana at this time. Um, and so I said, not in the normal like film way, but in the like you're writing a book way there are just moments where I'm like, I, I feel like he needs an editor. Mm-hmm. He needs cool. someone to just be like, you can cut this scene out or you can like simplify this part or like he needs you need a to like, Lucas. better explain this part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he needs a Marsha Lucas. <laughs> um, but uh, I guess I'll do Heritage Africa stairwell first and mm-hmm. then we can talk about... I don't... There's there a weren't... stairwell. There was a stairwell. Um, Heritage Africa has, I I mentioned it, but like, there's the main stairs that are going uh, up into his home in the European district. Um, and there's just a lot of like significance around like who he lets up, Mm -hmm. him going down to see people, things like that. Like there's a scene later too, where his mother comes and wants to visit, but he has like other, like, you know, middle-class name people over um, and is like ashamed of his mother who like only speaks Tui like does not Mm -hmm. um, speak any English Mm -hmm. and is like oh I'll be like one moment I'll be right back and then just like goes up and like finishes his dinner party and then comes down the stairs to talk to her Um, and then finally lets her up because all the guests are gone Mm -hmm. Um, and just like shame around it and like letting her up or not Um, but there's just lots of scenes that are like around that there's also the stairs that go up towards like where he works. And there's a moment where there are strikers and a bunch of them get shot on the stairs and it's not full on like, you know, strike. Yeah. And like (laughs) Odessa and stuff, Uh but, um, there's still multiple people who get shot on the stairs. Okay. So, um, I'm remembering the part at the end of Heritage Africa where it also kind of goes off the rails and like, there's just like an assassin killing people. So. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. I I don't know if he knows how to end a movie now that I'm thinking <laughs> about it, but I, I did enjoy both of these. I think he's just, he's not sure how to like stake that landing. Yeah. Because a lot of the stuff leading up is really good in both of them. There was something I said to
1: you at some point where this movie does feel a little love in the African pot feels a little novelistic where there's not like a, you know, a, a lot of movies, I think first act we're setting up that like, Oh, she's recently come back from school. And you know, here's like, she's meets this guy. Second act. She has to make the decision um, of who to marry third act. She marries Joe. There's a little bit of conflict, but they resolve it and they have a baby. And that's the end of the, that's the happy ending of the movie. Whereas this movie is kind of like, all right, first scene, here's what's happening. Next scene, this kind of follows from that. Next scene after that, when it feels like there's like sort of chapters and then eventually you just run out of pages to turn in the book, you yeah. know?
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, I do enjoy stuff that like breaks because I, I think that like there's an over-reliance on the three-act structure oh, yeah. in a lot of oh, cinema yeah, for that sure. is really uninteresting yeah, um, I would not describe pastoral to die in the country as a movie with a three act structure.
1: I, I guess more of what I'm saying is that this movie just seems to sort of go until like, it yeah. doesn't anymore.
2: Yeah, well, and the strength of it is that there is this like kind of novelistic, like oh, we're like introducing new scenarios, blah blah blah, um, and then again, I think the the issue is that it is like you get to the end and you're like. It's like you're, like, reading through the book, and then you realize that you got, like, one of those uh copies that were, like, intended for critics, and then they have to, like, rip it at the end, and so you're, like, missing the last, like, 20 pages or something. <laughs> <laughs> Both of them kind of have that. Well, actually, yeah. I feel like Heritage Africa, there's a part where they could have ended it, and it would have been fine. Which I guess is kind of true with this, too. This,
1: this is kind of true. I think if you just had her have the baby instead of get raped, I think the movie was fine. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she loses a baby at some point in this movie. That's completely glossed over. That that That's done in, like, five minutes. Yeah. Um. Um. Anyway, um, Stairs in this movie, there's a scene shortly after they get married um, where they're, like, getting their pictures taken, and it's very cute. And oh, they're on... Yeah. It's, like, this. kind of a hill, but also, like, somebody has, like, you know carved steps into it. Like it's yeah. on a hill, but there were rocks here that people have like formed into steps. Yeah. Um, We've got a an,
2: and uh Iwari no marino ishimatsu you yes stairwell here.
1: Yes, yes.
2: Um except this one's a little more winding. It it's a lot prettier to look at.
1: It's a lot prettier to look at. Uh you know, I was thinking of C at first, but in talking maybe I could be I could I could be flexible on that.
2: Yeah. Also, I'm going to take out the 2046 that I put in here idealistically.
1: Yeah. Neither of us watched that. I was going to watch it yesterday, and I didn't.
2: Instead, you watched Marvel movies. I'm not going to be defensive about this.
1: Next time, (laughs) we are watching Emma. By Pablo Lorraine.
2: I thought it was Laraín. You you like <laughs> told me a way to say it. Laraín. Yeah.
1: Uh, I I might be over pronouncing that a little bit, but yeah, that is like me quick glancing at it. Laraín,
2: because yeah.
1: the. So um in Spanish you would normally emphasize the second to last syllable in any word, but if there's an accent, you would emphasize that. So the in would be what you emphasize there so i might be over pronouncing a little bit but yeah
2: yeah um this is a movie that i watched and discussed in our previous stairwell briefly but it all, you told me about, about and it and i've you, totally yeah.
1: that was months ago i don't remember this so like yeah. i remember it sounding interesting but i don't remember what happened in it at all so
2: it was also the thing where you're like if you just told me this was a straight horror movie i would watch it tonight but now i don't know what it is and so now i'm just right. forcing you to watch it
1: you're right i remember i remember this okay yeah.
2: And then we're going to have to talk about the the weird queer politics of it. Okay. Um, I'm excited for it. <coughs> anyway, um, we like didn't mention this at the beginning, but we kind of mentioned it throughout. But I just want to say to people, if anyone wants to watch both of Kwa Anza's films, you can just mm. search it on YouTube. And I'm pretty sure those are like completely valid links it's not like yahoo anime rules things this is just how these movies are being preserved so um yeah yeah
1: um oh i made some well we could talk about that if you want to go see if you want to go to export odd.io slash stairwell quality you can see we've got stuff planned out for quite a ways but um I won't, I won't say what I'm talking about next time, because I'll give you the rationale uh, closer to it. This episode's gone long enough. You don't need to hear me talk about
2: all the movies I'm going to watch in February. Yeah. Um. <laughs> People do want to watch more films from, like, you know, Ghana and the diaspora. Mm-hmm. Look forward to February. We're yeah. going to watch a whole bunch of short films from a Ghanaian-American director. Yeah.
1: So. Oh, um, we got a question from Duo. Um One, which movie covered by ornate stairwells would you choose to be happening inside the body of a character from another movie covered by ornate stairwells? Um, police story happening inside of
2: Gary Oldman's Dracula. That would be good. <laughs> that would be good. Um, so I I had a thought. Uh-huh. I did see as I was going to do this police story and police story happening inside of someone's body is really good, um, <laughs> but I did have the cursed thought of I'm not even sure whose body to put this in yet. I'm I'm think I think I think my favorite version of this would be to do it inside Bruno Gansa's body in Wings of Desire. Okay. Or possible this might be better Peter Falk. Okay. And it's the entirety of Micro Commando Diatron Five, which means that the the galaxy where they're fighting, like where the the battleship Star Wars is, uh-huh. is inside of his body. Uh-huh. And then they go inside, uh-huh.
0: Uh-huh. 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 inside
2: the body of of Peter Falk. There is Ivy, the smartest and most yeah. talented girl in the world, which this world being Peter Falk and then they go inside her, and then all the stuff that happens inside Space Transformers happens there.
1: I could also maybe go with um, In the Mood for Love happening inside the body of... mm, This is the part I feel less strongly about. Yeah. Um, No, no, scratch that. Okay, my idea with In the Mood for Love is that it's kind of like that movie's about cramped spaces and what space is more cramped than the small intestine. That was my whole idea there. Um but no, actually, um Goodbye Dragon Inn yeah. happening inside the body of the main guy from Dragon mm-hmm. Inn.
2: I was gonna say this, but the correct <laughs> one is actually the the woman. Uh-huh. Like martial artist, because then you get the shot. Where there's what? her face and then the the like yeah. ticket lady looking and that's her looking out of the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you are you are almost there, but no, it has to be the woman in Dragon Inn.
1: Yeah. Um, for that
2: shot in particular.
1: <laughs> Joo also asked, "Is Ivy Laura Palmer?" And um,
2: no, oh, because Ivy doesn't die.
1: Do you remember the one episode of Idle Thumbs where they talk about um, Tommy Lee Jones telling Jim Carrey, "I cannot sanction your buffoonery"?
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, sometimes I feel like like Tommy Lee Jones greeting Zhuo over dinner and being like, "I cannot sanction your buffoonery," and sitting back down.
2: <laughs> um, I mean, I I guess like if the thing is like, Ivy is this. This person who is like held up as this perfect being, but the difference is that Laura Palmer is dead and all of that happens, and Ivy just is an incredibly talented like girl who can like transmit her brain waves to things in space to talk to people and can keep all of the world safe from falling objects except for the one meteor <laughs> that does fall and can, contain the assassin who, uh, you know, injects the stuff in her real quick.
1: Is Ivy ever dead? Wrapped in plastic? No. No, they're not the same person.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Man. Is that it for emails? Okay. Real quick.
1: Reg's, um, like, just watched season three of Twin Peaks. Yeah. And I love with my whole entire heart, season three of Twin Peaks. And I'm just at a point in my life where like, because of Regs, I've been thinking about it a lot. It's been in my mind constantly. And um, I just can't talk about it because Molly is watching season one for the first time, and you are the other person I talked to Twin Peaks about, but you have not seen season three, and we are going to eventually do it, and I, I can't I can't even, like, go, like, privately watch season three on my own because if I do, I'm going to talk about it and I'm going to irritate Molly because I'll just be talking about season three all the time. Yeah. So I'm just in this, like, state where, like, Twin Peaks is on the mind and I want to go back to season three so bad and I just have to contain it a little while.
2: So the, here is the thing. Is because at some point we want to do that podcast. Yeah. I don't know when that's happening. Mm -hmm. If it's possible that we just watch season three. Yeah. Before then, I'm fine having watched it when we get to it. I think the... I know all of Twin Peaks except for season three. And like the first episode of season three is like a fun bit for the podcast. But I also like doing the version of the podcast where... We've already talked about it being one where it's like, Hey, if you're watching through this for the first time, don't listen to us. Go
1: listen to Totally Reprise. Yeah.
2: Um, th- this is like, mm-hmm. I just want one where we can just talk about yeah. spoiler stuff all the time and not have to ever worry about it. Yeah, so, that might so be... I'm fine with having watched season three as well, and we can just talk about season three shit as well. That may be the way to do it, but if we did that,
1: I would still just be like, Nia, just watch it along with Totally Reprise, and maybe I also watch it along with Totally Reprise, just right now is a moment where like Molly watching Twin Peaks is like very important to me. I don't want to mess that up by going full the return brain and so I'm just keeping the lid on it as much as possible. So we talked about Laura Palmer and I thought about season three a little bit and that's the end of the conversation <laughs> I'm keeping a lid on it. Molly doesn't even listen to this so it's fine. I'm just every I want everybody to know where I'm at. Yeah. If you are in the Discord and you're like, I'm going to reply to Autumn about Season 3 stuff and I'm going to put it in spoiler tags, don't do that. Don't speak to me about Season 3 right now. In the Discord, there is a Twin Peaks channel and you can go in there and you can post anything you want and all the spoiler tags you want. Keep it out of export chat. I <coughs> don't want to see it. I just can't do it right now. I'm really, really, really enjoying totally reprise i i think like the way that they're doing twin peaks right now is really good and i don't want to fuck that up at all
2: (laughs) so um if people had emails Mm -hmm. and wanted to write in and they weren't joe who just knows the the Email address and just sends us whatever cursed thought he has at any moment of the day. Where would people send that? Exportaudiopodcast@gmail.com. Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Where can people find you online? People can find me at Fox Bob Nia on Twitter. Um and go listen to Ghost Divers. We just did uh we're like wrapping up Utena right now literally tomorrow we're going to watch adolescence of utana and then sunday we're going to record about it so if people like um this podcast and you want to hear the two of us talk some more Mm -hmm. one there's a bonus episode that's just us there's no well there's a little bit of connor but there's not a lot of connor in it there's a little bit of connor
1: wait is it okay You can cut this if you want. I haven't listened to it yet. Is Connor actually in that, or is it just me being like, "Oh, I'm Connor now"?
2: It's just you being like, "Oh, I'm Connor now." I just think it's (laughs) a funny bit. It's a really funny bit. bit.
1: (laughs) I just didn't know if Connor had like recorded some other like. It seemed like a very you and Connor thing to like get audio (laughs) of him saying, "Yeah, uh uh-huh, totally." Yeah, that's so right. And just, like, splice it in at random moments. <laughs> it seemed like a thing you would do. <laughs> no.
2: So people can go listen to that right now as they're listening to this. And then... Cause, well, this is coming out on Tuesday. So then on Friday, you can uh, go check out our Adolescence of Utena coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, if you haven't watched the show, you should probably watch the show before you watch Adolescence of Utena. Yeah. Mostly because just a lot of stuff that's going to happen is going to make no sense if you don't have, like context of the show yeah but i will say i think the Utena episodes are the best episodes we've ever done i am listening through them right now and i would agree with that yeah especially when we got out of the um Suning council saga and i was just like the best way to do this is let's just do all the synopses at the front and then talk about it um like we're doing ghost in the Shell standalone complex mm-hmm. second gig right now and we're not doing it that way because it's a far more episodic mm-hmm. structure um but like when stuff is more arc stuff, I'm just gonna lean towards this because it ended up working really well.
1: I I was on the Ray Earth episodes, and I think these are better episodes than the Ray Earth episodes. So yeah,
2: I love Ray Earth so much. Mm-hmm. Utana has more stuff to deep dive about. Yeah, it just does. <laughs> um, like we got to the end of the Ray Earth episodes, and I was like, I think I've said basically everything that I want to say about Ray Earth into a um, like microphone. Other than I just love those girls. Mm-hmm. Um, the true Ray Earth the Utena experience... The one is just like, there's so much that I can still talk about with Yutena.
1: The true Ray Earth experience that has, like, that could not have been captured on a podcast was that, like, while watching Ray Earth, it's like, this show's all right. And then a, over Christmas, you got the Ray Earth... Like, someone sent you, like, really the new nice Ray Earth mangas. And you and I were just, like, flipping through... um the like,
2: illustration books, specifically. Yeah, where like, it's just uh, yeah. clamp drawings of characters.
1: Yeah, here's just like, oh, here's like a poster that we did. Or who, here's the box art for the video game. And we're just like, oh, that's the girls. Those are yeah, my I girls. Love them. I love them. Yeah. That's like the true experience of Ray
2: Earth is us just being like, oh, that's my baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the true Ray Earth experience is I watch it and I'm like, this is my favorite anime. And while I'm watching, I'm like, eh. This anime is okay. I like this anime. And then they're like a month later. I'm like, no, that's my favorite anime. All of my avatars are like that anime. Mm-hmm. Um, you go to my Twitter account at Fox mom Nia. And it's just a picture of Nova right there. She's me. I am
1: still just thinking about Nora being like, why is your profile picture a Sega Saturn? Never mind.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Where can people find you and look at your Sega Saturn profile picture?
1: You can find me on Twitter at a underscore coffee. You can find all my other podcasts at export odd.io there. There's links to all the free feeds of things, which are hopefully working. Um, if you uh, want to circumvent the possibly not functioning free feeds, you could just give us a dollar a month and get access to most of our shows early, such as this podcast or hot singles, um, which might be like falling into an accidental break because we're bad at scheduling. Um, who knows? Time will tell. Um, Gotham City Limits, etc. There's more, but I'm getting sleepy, so we're not going to go through the whole list. Or for $5 a month, you can give a, you can listen to Pop Town Funk, which is a stupid podcast that I love. Um, yeah. Where we roll random Funko Pops and have to talk about the media relating to them. For our next episode, we will be watching Season 11, Episode 4 of Supernatural. Um, which is an episode about the car because we got the car as a Funko Pop. So
2: I'll say if you like me hear the concept of it's a podcast about Funko Pops and you're like that sounds like the most insufferable thing in the world. Don't worry, it's not really about Funko Pops. It's actually about um, the the looming threat that it just at any <laughs> can become an MCU podcast far more than you made this episode. <laughs> <laughs> the, it could just it could just be multiple days in a row, like multiple like episodes in a row. It has MCU movies.
1: We haven't hit anything I dislike yet. We are we are 3 for 3 on watching things I've enjoyed, and honestly, I'll probably be fine with that episode of Supernatural. The thing that I'm scared of is that one of these days we're going to roll a South Park character um and, and then you'll just
2: have to like Play Fractured Bottle or something.
1: (laughs) There is a chance. And I don't know if this will happen. But like... In theory this could happen. That we roll that South Park character whose name is a racial slur. And then we have to figure out how to navigate that on air. So... Everyone just like hold in your hearts that someday that could happen. And give us $5 a month to listen to the utter terror... That, that is that <laughs> Okokoro oh, is real oh, is real <laughs> There's a South Park character whose name is just a racial slur and everybody just decided that's fine
2: Everybody did not decide that's fine Everybody in the production process of the South Park episode decided it they was made, fine was like, They made him stuff for video game. It has a racial slur in the title,
1: and games journalists had to say it constantly. And everyone was just like, yeah, whatever. Here, we'll say this racial slur. Okay. Okay. has always been real.
2: this you
1: do the last the last podcast we did was when you hosted
2: yeah who's editing this i'm assuming me because we're doing it on my laptop
1: okay makes sense
2: yeah Do these waveform looks do those look good to you
1: yeah those look like good waveforms Nora definitely would look at those waveforms and be like oh you got to turn the game up but i just don't think you do i think those are perfectly fine waveforms i'm finishing my cough drop as i'm talking so i'm just gonna kind of like yeah vamp a little bit you can put this at the I've- end of the
2: I have one in my mouth as well. Um, I just thought you had candy on your desk. And I, so I, was... I had this in here. Cause, so, like, part of the all of the recording mm-hmm. remote and stuff was um, I had to get, like, a second COVID test, even though I was positive that wasn't, because my doctor wanted to see me. But I just positive, had, like, bronchitis.
1: Positive it wasn't was a bad choice of words on your part. <laughs> Especially with a cough
2: drop in your mouth. I'm worried that, yeah. like, a
1: listener may have misheard. You are not positive for COVID.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I. it's just, like, I had some sort of cold or something, which was part of all of the stuff at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just developed into, like, bronchitis for me. So, I feel fine otherwise, other than just, like, literally my lungs. So... But yeah, I've never had these cough drops before that you say are very like, well-known.
1: Ricola? Ricola! Ricola! Ricola cough drops. Never had these. The ones I get are always the Ludens cough drops. I always go for, like, a citrusy cough drop flavor if I can.
2: Yeah. But I like these. These are nice. I feel like there are some Ludens ones that are... One thing I like about... Ricola's that none of them have the cough syrup in them, mm-hmm. and I have a very low tolerance for, like, dextromorphine or whatever, the, the mm-hmm. DXM stuff. The stuff that's in yeah. cough syrup that when people drink cough syrup recreationally, they're doing it because <laughs> they want to, um, like, have weird dissociation. If I take a normal dosage, I dissociate. I, um... um
1: I knew a guy once who wanted to fail out of college because he didn't want to be in college. It's just that he was kind of, like, supposed to be there because of his parents. And so yeah. he just drank a whole bottle of NyQuil before a test one time.
2: All right. That's my entire story. Um, yeah, it used to be I, if I took, like, a normal dosage of Kossier, Um Or, like, I would do, like, Mucin-XDM, like a normal, you know, like, that's what I too. Mm-hmm. which is like, you really are trying to loosen up that phlegm. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just like have out of, like full on out of body. Like I'm just observing my body. Like, yeah. like I'm watching a movie or something. And yeah. It's like my body moving around, mm-hmm. um, which one time I was very sick and Kmart was like, you still have to come into work. And so I <laughs> intentionally did a normal dose of cough syrup. Um, one, just so I wouldn't be coughing at work. And then two, that was the easiest shift at Kmart that I ever had because I just, I, it was kind of boring, but I just uh-huh. watched someone work at Kmart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No,
1: <laughs> I am um, not not these days. Now that I'm smoking more often again, but like when it's been a couple months since I get since I've gotten high, weed does that to me easily, to the extreme. And one time. Pretty recently, I was like, "I can get high before work; it's fine." And I had that, but I'm a shift supervisor, so people are asking me questions. Yeah. <laughs> and people are being like, "Autumn, what do we do about this?" And I'm like, "Man, I don't know." <laughs> <laughs> even though it was, even though it was like questions that I know the answer to, I would just be like, "Man,
2: <laughs> yeah." Um, but anyway, I did get to actually go see my doctor, and she gave me antibiotics. So mm-hmm. hopefully. Probably not when we record Utena, because I'm still going to be in the middle of the antibiotics then. Mm-hmm. But next stairwells, I will hopefully be what done is, with this.
1: What is the um, flavor here? It just says herb. It's just a bunch of herbs. Okay, because I, I taste like mint, but it's not just a mint, you know?
2: Yeah, it's it's a bunch of herbs. Okay. Like, um...
1: Yeah, I just go for citrusy stuff. This is very nice. I liked the herbal.
2: Yeah. I oh, like the honey. Herbal... Honey is the other thing yeah. I'm tasting. Um, um, and as elder, which like elderflower, um, whorehound, mallow, peppermint, sage, thyme, cowslip, burnet, yarrow, marshmallow, uh, ladies' mantle, speedwell, aka veronica, and plantain. Huh, the, the flowers, not the, yeah, <clears throat> um. You, you weren't able to come over when I made Tostone's, but I make really good Tostone's. I would love to have your I Tostone's. I thought of Tostone's, again, just being reminded of Plantain. I'm like, damn, I want to eat some Tostone's right now. Yeah.
1: There's a place pretty near you that does good Tostone's. Not amazing Tostone's, and they overcharge you, but
2: they're good. Yeah, that place is too expensive for what it is. Yeah. I like it, but it's like parents are in town, and they're like, do you want to go to a restaurant? If we don't want to go too far, mm-hmm. then well, this is... Pre I like have not really eaten in a restaurant aside from like some extreme,
0: mm-hmm.
2: like we are traveling, mm-hmm. um to like go. Even then, we like eat in the car a lot. I've been anyway.
1: I've been feeling okay about going back to restaurants, but I don't have a kid, so yeah. Um, I just finished my cough drops. So we can probably start here pretty soon, but that we were talking about something. Cough Drops reminded me of one other quick story that I was going to tell, and I can't remember it. So we should probably just start the episode, I guess.
2: Yeah. If you remember mid-episode, you can just tell the story, and then there'll be no context for it until people get to the end.
1: Go back to the Wikipedia page for these cough drops for just a moment and see if it jogs my memory. Um... Nope, not even. <gasps> honey, honey was what it was. Okay, can I complain about? Okay, if you've listened to this, if you're listening to this, you've listened to Bella Lugosi's dead. You, you're at the very end. Um, I don't talk about this on podcasts generally, so just don't blow up my spot. But I work up at Star I work at Starbucks. I think that's pretty obvious, but like, I don't like saying it most of the time. Anyway, yeah.
2: you. It came up on the last ornate cereals as well. So.
1: Yeah, I definitely didn't edit that out, huh? Yeah. When I was like, Nora, don't say that. Okay. Anyway.
2: And Nora and, was like, I, well, good thing I edited in saying the name of a not she, ed-
1: she didn't edit that. I didn't <laughs> edit that. No one edited that. That just arrived in the feed. Anyway, please just. I don't care if people talk about me working at Starbucks as long as you don't say it on Twitter. Just do not, like put the word Starbucks and add a terminal underscore coffee in the same tweet and we're good.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> anyway. Um, so I, uh, at Starbucks, we have this drink that we we call the honey citrus mint tea, but it, it, people invented it on Instagram and it's called the medicine ball and people get it all the time this time of year. Um, and it's the, Dumbest thing in the world. Did you, did they have this back when you used to
2: work at Starbucks long ago? No. So, what it is? I mean, they may have. So, one of the ones that I worked at, um, we were like, we were a good Starbucks. Like, you could get really good drinks there. Um, but sometimes when people would come in with like a stupid, mm-hmm. like, this is on the secret menu would just be like the secret menu literally doesn't exist. It's just people on the internet tell you to get this thing and I'm not making it. (laughs) So generally what we do,
1: like we had someone come in a couple days ago be like, I saw the secret menu, like cotton candy frappuccino. I have made many cotton candy frappuccinos in my life. I know how to make a cotton candy frappuccino, but what I said to the person was, If it's a secret menu item, if you know the recipe and you can tell me how to make it, I will make it. But otherwise, I'm not making it. Uh Um, But Medicine Ball was one that, one, got very popular. Two, is incredibly cheap to make. Um, I guess those are the reasons that Starbucks ended up putting it actually on the menu. Like, that is like a thing. We can't call it the Medicine Ball. It's called the Honey Tea something. But it's the Medicine Ball. And what this is... It's so stupid. It's one bag of green tea, one bag of peach tea. That's good for a cold. A little bit of honey. That's good for a cold. And then instead of filling it up with water, you steam lemonade and fill it the entire cup with lemonade. I I don't know if you've ever had a sore throat, but how does your sore throat feel after you, I don't know, drink a
2: glass of lemonade? (laughs) Um. The th- so the thing is, I feel like you need to just like go all in on this or not do it. Mm-hmm. Um, because there was one time where, um, I think both Emily and I were in San Francisco seeing my my brother, uh, who for a while lived in Xi'an, moved to San Francisco to get, like get a degree, went back to Xi'an, and then eventually moved like pretty close to my parents. Um. But when he was in um, San Francisco, we went and we stayed at an Airbnb and I ended up getting like a little bit like back in the day before there was a pandemic, you would still sometimes go on a plane and then you would like get something from the plane because it's just a small enclosed space with a lot of people very close to you. Um, And so I think it just like had some plain cold thing, Mm -hmm. but I had like a sore throat. Um, And the person that we were staying with... um, It was just, like, an Airbnb where you, like, get a room. And so it was just, like, her house. Like, we were just, like, watching movies with her in the evening and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, She was very nice. Mm -hmm. She was also a nurse. And she was, like, let me make you something when I was, like, you know, I have a sore throat. And it was just, like, three lemons just, like, Mm -hmm. completely, like, wrung out. And a bunch of, like, blended up ginger in some really hot water. Yeah. And that so it was just like intense. Like this yeah. is extremely lemony. This is extremely gingery. Yeah. I am drinking it, and I drank it, and I was like, "That did help." <laughs> <laughs> that see, that I could imagine would help.
1: But lemonade has so much sugar. There's yeah. so much sugar in there.
2: What are you, you doing? Know, it's like putting honey.
1: Yeah. And and half the time, because we run out of honey all the time lately, like this happened okay there's been a lot of supply chain stuff that starbucks has been out of many many things this year yeah um but it's been particularly bad around honey and for like literally three months we have not had honey because like when we get honey in it's gone within 24 hours because people are like i want small, i want small like literally we're getting like dozens of these every day and it's just like do you all think that like this is gonna cure covid like what do you <laughs> <laughs>
2: um this is a, a tangential question. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you seen the Chicago street honey guy yet? No. Um, so one of the places that he he appears is actually right by that uh, Venezuelan place. Okay. Um, but he will like set up I think in different locations. And it's just like out of the back of his pickup truck and he just sells honey. He just like makes honey in Chicago. I like it's good honey. But I... also I just I like how like some of the street vendor stuff that we have is we have the Tamale guys. Um, we have Paletas hmm. and we have the guy who goes around and sells honey out of the back of his pickup. So this is,
1: this is a thing that we had in Lawrence, Kansas, where it's a small enough town where you had honk for hemp guy. Everybody knows honk for hemp guy. Yeah. You had, um, shopping cart, uh, mannequin guy, um, who was always pushing a mannequin around in a shopping cart. Yeah. It, Cause that's a town of like 50,000 people. So you get to know. Most people, especially weird people, like Honk for Hemp Guy.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I'm And we didn't have that in St. Louis at all. I didn't know anybody there. It was a town completely devoid of character. So I'm glad to be back in a place that has guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, like Tamale Guy or Street Honey Guy.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing about Chicago. Like, I don't know if you if you've picked up on this vibe yet, but it's like, I feel like this people also describe New York similarly where it's like, it's gotten so big that there's just neighborhoods and then the neighborhoods like function in a similar way to like, yeah, smaller things where it's just like most of the time that when you're going to get food, if you are eating out, like sometimes you might go to the really nice restaurant, but like Mm
0: -hmm. normally
2: you're not going to like, Get in a car to go get Chinese food. There's a Chinese yeah. food restaurant, like, a couple blocks away from you. Yes. At yes. any time. There's a Mexican restaurant a couple blocks away from you at any time in Chicago. Living. And whatever, wherever you live, you just go to the places around you. Yes. And, like, it becomes this weird small town where it's just all concentrated within, this... like, five blocks. This is, like, the thing that I feel where, like... I gotta
1: in Kansas I felt much more capable of like um like my in Kansas my entire life was like a couple city blocks basically yeah you know w- w- my entire life was like 3 square miles um and in St. Louis my entire life was like 15 square miles cuz you had to drive fucking everywhere to do anything at all I had to drive 15 minutes to get to a McDonald's, and it was the only fucking place near me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um,
2: But, like, I feel like you're possibly also starting to encounter the reason why a lot of people in Chicago just don't eat fast food is because sometimes it's like, why am I going to go all that way to to McDonald's when there's literally a Mexican restaurant, like, two blocks away? Well, also,
1: also, (laughs) it's made me start to like McDonald's a little bit again because for a while I was getting McDonald's all the time because it was the only thing I had to eat. And now I get McDonald's once every two or three weeks because it is on my, like, on my path from work to home. And sometimes I look at it and I'm like, I feel lazy tonight. Let me just get some fries and a Sprite. And I'm not, like, going there for, like, my whole fucking yeah. whatever. I'm just it's getting... It's not
2: every night you get off work and it's the only place open. Yes. You yes. Know.
1: I could go somewhere better than McDonald's. I choose McDonald's because I'm lazy and a little depressed. <laughs>
2: and their fries are good
1: yeah and the fries are good yeah man i I went to mcdonald's a couple days ago and the fries were cold before i even got them and i legit almost cried
2: (laughs) that's a tragedy
1: instead i went outside and smoked weed but anyway we should probably start the podcast
2: okay (laughs) should we do a little bit of silence for noise removal purposes
1: yeah sure That was Yuri.
0: (laughs) There's a cat back there.